0: I have a question for you. Here's a linguistic question. I have heard this. I've heard it. Bill Simmons is using it. I've heard other people using it. There's the uh, uh, the what used to be the something something sixteen hundred podcast. Those, that crew is now has a new podcast. I think it's Pod Save the Queen. People are calling podcast episodes pods. I've seen it. Yeah. All over the place. It seems to be – it is, to me, the ling- uh, linguistic – it's the word of the year so far for 2017. I'm almost down with it, even though I am generally a curmudgeon on all uh, – anything that that uh, jiggers with the language. What do you think
1: about it? Well, it makes it – makes, well, I, I think it's fine because, well, one, it's short, right? And it it's both short and it's very descriptive. You know exactly what it's talking about. And it's also fascinating because we've kind of like our careers have overlapped like the journey of the word pod from being this apparatus you plug into your computer, the iPod, Mm -hmm. and thus being the podcast. And now pod being an entirely, like it went through a transfiguration or whatever the word is. And it's it's really interesting, actually, when you think about it.
0: I think it's fascinating. Uh, But in particular, it seems like people are using it, though, to mean episode, not The show, even though Pike on Pod Save the Queen, I guess it kind of implies that it's the whole, it's the show itself. Yeah, I think it's Pod, isn't it Pod Save America? Oh, Pod Save America, whatever the hell their show is called. But anyway, the thing that stuck out to me is the use of pod.
1: Yeah, but that makes sense, though, because podcast is the entity. Right. And then a podcast contains multiple pods. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it too much, it doesn't make sense. But but if you think it at the appropriate level, it makes perfect sense. I, I'm I'm down with it.
0: I think mean, it's a good addition. I wrote about this. I, I would have to find the link, but I wrote about this the first time Apple ever put podcast as a feature in iTunes, which was a long time ago. I mean, we're talking it might have been like two thousand three.
1: I don't. No, well, it was 2005 because that was when Odeo was doing podcasts. Was it?
0: Uh, pre- Odeo, nay, Twitter. Uh, but just how sort of at, at, at first I was sort of thinking uh, uh, way back then that, hey, Apple might put the kibosh on people calling these things podcasts because they're very touchy-touchy about uh, trademarks and stuff like that. And then they, like, kind of embraced the word, and it was like, whoa, what the heck is that? Uh, and I, it, it hit me way back then, like, hey, it's kind of genius for them to embrace it, because it sort of makes it seem like podcasts are only meant for iPods. Like, they right. kind of own the thing. And... You know, I, I at this point I feel like there's more people who have listened to podcasts. Period. You know, some podcasts now, maybe not my podcast, somebody's podcast, who've never even owned an iPod. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yet the word persists. But the whole the whole origin of the word is based. It's clearly based on the word iPod. Yep.
1: Yeah. It- no it's it's a no, you're right, and it's really um I mean if you back up and think about it the the benefit the way it pays out to the iPod at least at that time you know is it's like a you know it's like a there's a classic strategy technique which is commoditize your compliments, basically all the things that make your product really good, you want to make them be super common and super free. And this was Apple kind of doing that from a branding perspective. Like they they made podcasts the name. They didn't trademark it. They let it spread super wide and all accrued to the iPod, which they, you
0: know, were raking in all the money on. It, you are indeed, your memory, if if you were uh, recalling it from memory, is correct. It was from July 2005, 2005. I don't know. What do we call those years now? I don't know, we know what we call them. The odds. Mid odds. The odds. It was, and it was a a post I wrote on the site called Is That a Podcast in Your Pocket? I'll put it in the show notes. Uh,
1: It is a long article. I just found it as well. I didn't have an editor
0: back then. I kind of like calling it new pod. Like that's what Bill Simmons, like Bill Simmons announcing a new episode. It'll be like new pod. And then he'll have like a link to the show. I kind of like it. Yeah.
1: No, it, it, it's yeah. It, 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 I've, the one thing you mentioned before about you, people who have never had an iPod, I get more and more of these, of these emails from like striking members or whatever that are like, it, it, I've officially reached the stage in life where people just say things in passing that just blows my mind <laughs> about their, their relative experience, the technology compared to mine. Like what? Give me another example. Oh, just like, I mean, I, I now, now my, I'm getting a brain freeze. I just, I, it's more, I remember the emotion that I get from reading these emails where well, they'll say something in passing about, when they got their first phone or their yeah. memories about something and like something they'll remember. Oh, do you remember back when it was this? I'm like, I remember when that was introduced <laughs> or something. <laughs> I, nothing's coming to mind right now, but it yeah. happens frequently enough. It's one of those things where the emotion of the shock at man, I'm old is someone is who writes and says,
0: I like, I'll give you like somebody who writes and says like, they're a diehard longtime Apple user. And their first Apple product was like the iPhone 4S.
1: <laughs> and you're <laughs>
0: right. like, you're like, what? <laughs> like, I'm going to send John Syracuse to your house, and and I'm going to have you schooled on what it means to be a longtime Apple user. Yeah, uh, totally. But God bless you. Yeah. It- <laughs> <laughs> no. It,
1: oh shoot. I'm. I am. Apparently, the it being 12:30 in the morning aspect is kicking in. But oh, there's something that happened the other day where I officially shifted to like back. Like back in my day mode, I felt just oh, it was about it was about the bucks, it was basketball. I just talk about man, us old timers, and like if you started if you started going to games in the nineties, and I felt justified in saying that like that was a really long time ago. When like the nineties like don't feel that far away to me, but it's actually it has really been. Like 20, 30 years, or whatever it is, and yeah, the fact that I felt I could say that, and no one called me out on it, a bunch of people were on Twitter like, yeah, oh, totally, I remember going to these games. It's like, yeah, we're a bunch of old people now. It's 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 both sort of depressing. It's also kind of satisfying, like to be able to like sit back and revel in uh in in your you know being a part of what came before. I'm embracing it. I'm leaning into it. I'm going to yeah. do a pot about it. <laughs>
0: Let me take a break right off the bat. Let's just get this rolling and and get a sponsor break out of the way and let me talk to you about one of one of the best new sponsors we've got on this show. It's a company called Away. Away uses high-quality materials that other brands use, but they sell at much lower prices. What do they make? They make luggage. They have three sizes: the carry-on, the medium, the large. The large is huge. It's it's like if you're like leaving your family, you know. It's like really really big. All their suitcases are made with premium German parley unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, and very lightweight. The interior of all their suitcases features patent pending compression systems, helpful for overpackers. In other words, you open it up, and it's not just like 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 a rectangle, like a a, a cube inside. It, it they've got like compartments inside they've got little things that help you that help you organize your stuff uh, they have a tsa approved combination lock built into the top of all their bags to prevent theft removable washable laundry bag right inside so this is a great idea. What do you do with your dirty clothes when you pack? This is what I do. I, I I never think ahead. I go on a trip and I think, well, here's all the clothes I'm going to take. And then I get there. And then once I get there, I start piling up dirty clothes. I just put them put them in a corner and it's like, just just ignore until I pack up to leave. They give you a washable laundry bag. You can actually have a place to put your dirty clothes when you are in your hotel room or whatever the heck, wherever the heck you're staying. Uh, really, really great. Now, look. Why are they advertising on the talk show? What what What's this got to do with technology? Well, not every sponsor has something to do with technology, but these guys do. The carry-on from away is able to charge all cell phones, tablets, e-readers, anything else that's powered by a USB cord because it has a built-in uh, battery right in the case. So... This is super convenient. This is amazing. You, you just sit there at your seat in the airport while you're waiting for your flight to, to for them to tell you to board, and you could just plug any cable right into the top of the suitcase and charge your phone right from your carry-on. They got a lifetime warranty. Anything breaks, they'll fix it for you for life. 100-day trial, get one of these suitcases, live with it, uh, travel with it, Instagram it, whatever you want to do. Uh, and if you don't like it, return it for a full refund. No questions asked. Free shipping on any away order within the continental US. This is a great product. I need a new suitcase. I don't have one of these yet. And I feel terrible that I don't because my carry-on suitcase is a wreck. It is it is like ripped up. its It's got wheels that don't roll. It's terrible. I'm buying one of these things. So um, here's what you want to do. You can get $20 off your first order by going to awaytravel.com/talkshow and remember the promo code talk show during checkout, and you will save 20 bucks. I'm going to use it. I'm going to save 20 bucks. I'm going to get one of these. I'm getting a carry-on. Uh, that's where you go. Get one of these suitcases. This is a great product at a tremendous price compared to high-end suitcases from traditional retailers. Go there, find out more. Get a suitcase dot travel.com slash talk show remember that promo code talk show want to talk about the nfl
1: <laughs> <laughs> well we we were originally going to record what was it last week when yeah. we waited until until my packers were humbled after after defeating your cowboys i didn't do that but on I purpose did, I- <laughs> I didn't get the chance to uh, to do a double or nothing after our unfortunate bet the last time I was on the podcast.
0: What do, we, I, do I owe you? What do I owe you? A drink? I owe you drinks the next time. The whole bar? No,
1: I owe you. I, no, I owe you dinner. Why is that? Because we we bet before the regular season game between the Packers and and the and the and the
0: Cowboys, and we lost. We lost soundly it doesn't seem right though it doesn't seem right that i that you owe me given that the packers beat the cowboys in the playoffs that doesn't seem right
1: when it it counts when it counts yeah i I forgot to specify uh the
0: bet is about when it counts so you're a a lifelong green bay packers fan i'm a lifelong dallas cowboys fan uh the cowboys and the packers played at this point was it 10 days ago 11 days ago um was honestly, in all, in my opinion, it was the only good playoff game in the entire NFL playoffs to date. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, it's been brutal.
1: It's been brutal. Well, it wasn't just one of the only good playoff game of these playoffs. It was like one of the all time great playoff games of all time. Yeah.
0: It, so it was an all time great game, and but it was literally the only decent playoff game. I mean, the only other one that you could even make an argument for would be the the Steelers. Chiefs game on the same day which was a game that was won by a team that kicked six field goals (laughs) so if you want to argue if you're like in the greater Pittsburgh area and you want to argue that that was a good game too in a game where your team won with six field goals okay fine you know that was a great game yeah sure Uh, otherwise this was the only good game of the playoffs but it like you said it was seriously like an all-time great game and I'm yeah. Well, our,
1: it. our our two teams have been in a, have been in a few of those.
0: I liked it. In the, yeah, I liked it in the '90s when the Packers oh, and it. when the Packers and Cowboys <laughs> would meet every single year, and every single year, no matter what happened, the Cowboys would eat beat them handily. That's what I like. Uh, yeah,
1: I don't uh, like me not me not so. I I tweeted immediately after the game that that victory was for Favre. <laughs> Because yes, all, all the all the emotions of those '90s losses uh, came came rushing back at the end of that game.
0: What I remember from the early from the first years that this became a rivalry in the early Fav years, when Fav was was a young up and coming quarterback, was the ridiculous distances that Fav could throw a football, like. You know, they'd be like on like the 30-yard line and time would be running out in the first half and it would be like, well, I don't know. they would just, you know, throw it to like the 20 and hope something happens. And instead, he'd throw it all the way into the end zone. You'd be like, no, wait, I thought they were at the 30. And then they'd show the replay and it was like, oh, yeah, they were at the 30 and he still threw it all the way to the end zone. Like he 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 could throw the ball like silly distances, like 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 throwing an aerobie.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's hard to. I mean, obviously all the stuff with Favre sort of ended badly with Green Bay and and there was some enmity there for sure. But I think uh and here's like here's where I get to pull the that rhetorical trick for us longtime Packers fans who <laughs> grew up with the team just being just brutal and awful. And I got, you know, I started in the 80s, so there there was they've been brutal for like 20 years before then. So it was yeah. worse worse for other folks like my like my dad. But I mean it, the way he utterly and completely transformed that franchise. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, over the last, we, we were talking about this the other day, like over the last like 25 years, or whatever, like I believe it's the Packers and Patriots and Steelers are are one, two, three, as far as like both record, number of playoff appearances, all those sorts of things. And, and really the guy that made that all happen. I mean, Wolf, Wolf trade for him and stuff is a great GM, but Favre was the, the guy who just transformed
0: that franchise and, and what it meant. For people who aren't sports fans, the Packers are an interesting story because they are unique in America among all professional sports teams. Basketball, hockey, football, baseball, all all four major sports. The Packers are unique in that they are uh they're owned by their fans more or less. I mean can you I I, I am an owner can, can you explain the the difference I mean every other team has like one rich guy who is the owner of the team and is a jerk and probably a, a Trump supporter uh in all sports, <laughs> the Packers are are different. I, I'm not sure the Packers can can can,
1: can well argue because they're from one, Wisconsin. Right? So, but <laughs> well, not just Wisconsin, but northern Wisconsin, which is uh, yeah, not 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 uh, not a left leaning liberal country. We'll put it that can way.
0: Can you explain the ownership structure of the Packers? Uh, so so the Packers were
1: owned by uh, an owner at at some point, but sometime way back when, I want to say back in like the the, the um the 20s or something like that, like way back, because they're, they're one of the original football teams. Uh, they were going to go out of business or something like that. But but they, they established the, uh, the Articles of Incorporation for the Green Bay Football Corporation. Uh, and it was sold to basically people in the community. They could buy in a piece. And then it was written into the bylaws that if it was ever sold – that all the money would go to the local post of the American Legion, <laughs> so that's still the case today. So if the if the team is ever sold, all the proceeds go to the local American Legion post. And they're
0: pro- <laughs> probably worth at least I would guess like at least like one or two billion dollars. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like you know, like
1: we we always talk about like the America's team, right? right. But There's there's. There's basically five big teams in the NFL that have national followings. Like their their lines in Vegas get set differently because they attract so much betting from fans. And that's your your Cowboys, the Packers, the Raiders, the Steelers, and then the Patriots are the kind of the newest addition. Yeah, the the, the
0: Patriots have sort of snuck in just by virtue of uh, 15 years of nonstop winning. Right, right, because I mean
1: the Packers. The Packers were pretty dominant in the early part of the NFL, and so like when they won the first two Super Bowls, that was kind of the tail end of their of a, a multi decade run of dominance. And then in the seventies, obviously, the Steelers and the and the Cowboys, uh, and and then the Raiders came along, and then the Cowboys obviously had a return return to to glory. But um, but yeah, so so what happened was then a few years ago when they wanted to expand Lambeau Field. To raise money, they did another share issuance. So they sold another two hundred fifty thousand shares at at two hundred fifty dollars a piece, and just raised a ton of money for the stadium. And all these shares are totally worthless. Like there's, you can't sell them. Uh, I mean, you could sell them on the side, but you can't convert them for money or anything. Uh, but yeah, I have one, so I ha- I have it. Uh, it's it's sitting in a box right now. Uh, I I haven't actually put it up. Uh, here in Taiwan, but I am a I am a proud owner of the of the Green Bay Packers.
0: It is sort of silly, but it it is to me. It's the way most teams should be owned. Like even though it's the opposite, and the Packers are in fact this odd uh, exception. In. It it really is the way most teams should be owned. They should be owned by the local fans because it 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 would take off the table the extortion that these owners put their fans through every time they need new stadiums built. You know, it's there's an honesty to it where it's like, look, the only reason to buy shares in the Packers is if you're a Packers fan. Right. And the Packers aren't going anywhere. Like nobody is ever uh, uh, like the Packers are never saying like, give us, you know, a a $500 million expansion of Lambeau Field or we're moving to Los Angeles. Like that's never even on the table. Right. They're not going anywhere. Right. Right. And every other team, or half the teams, you know what I mean? Like, maybe, you know, Dallas isn't going anywhere. But look at the Raiders. The Raiders have moved. They've moved to Los Angeles. They went back to Oakland. Now, uh, uh, is it a done deal? Are they going to Vegas? I think it's all but a done deal. I don't think it's been
1: announced yet. But, right. yeah, they're going to
0: move move to Las Vegas. Because, you know, the, the uh, what's it called? The AOK Stadium and uh, Coliseum in Oakland is, it really is a, a shithole. Uh, and they, you know, it, so now they're moving to Vegas. Uh, it, it, the Eagles have gone through this in Philadelphia. Like, there, there are no better fans or more loyal fans or, or diehard. Maybe <laughs> diehard is maybe the way to go than Philadelphia Eagles fans. I'm not an Eagles fan, but I live, I'm surrounded by them. They're great fans. Years ago, before they built the, the, the Lincoln Financial Field that they have now, the, the, there, there were threats that they were going to move the Eagles to Los Angeles. I mean, it would would have ripped the city apart. It, it's not right, but it's a privately held, you know, team.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it can really only work in the NFL because so much of the the NFL is so aggressive in its revenue sharing. And the TV deals are so massive that you know Green Bay can compete on an even playing field, even though they 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 make much less money locally. Although that was part of sort of the refurbishment that they did of Lambeau Field when I was able to buy buy my share, my single share was basically making sort of a year round destination, and like people do like pilgrimages and stuff there. But relative to like you know the you know Jerry's like Jerry Dome or whatever, right. they don't make as much locally. But because the vast majority of the money that Alltivs get is from the TV deal and then from and all ticket sales have to be shared by and large i think except for like luxury boxes they um yeah they they they, they can do it and pull it off and and obviously you know it, they're the team for Wisconsin so i it, i mean they're their television market is effectively Wisconsin. Um, and so they, they certainly, they certainly do well. Um, but yeah, it's super unique. They had to be grandfathered into like the NFL's like governance, like document, because it does state that no team can have more than like X number of, of owners. Um, and the Green Bay Packers have 360,000 of them.
0: So, right. It's sort of like, they want to avoid the situation where like 10 people, you know, like me and you and, marco and guy english join in and buy an nfl team and we fight with each other and can't make decisions uh they want to avoid that and so that's why they have these these rules that you know they what they want are guys like jerry jones who just can make decisions on their own just just to simplify things and packers have like a million owners
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'm reading the Wikipedia page right now. Yeah, even though it's referred to as common stock. A share of Packers stock does not share the same rights. It does not have equity interest, does not pay dividends, cannot be <laughs> traded, has no securities law protection, and brings no season ticket purchase privileges. It doesn't even get you a seat. <laughs> no, it'll, it'll, oh, the Packers have like a 50-year waiting list or something, um, which is insane because I actually have very little desire to to go
0: to a game in January in Green Bay, I can tell you that. It's uh, it's like a college team insofar as like nobody lives there. I mean, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for the Green Bay metropolitan area and the so this is 280,000 people. It's, it's not even a, it's not even a real city. Yep. Yeah.
1: No. So people, well, so that what they did for a long time is they had uh, six games a year in green Bay and two games a year in Milwaukee right. when uh, at county stadium where the Rouge used to play. And, and they did that when like, when the team was having, was in a rough time and kind of like, you know, build up the fan base or whatever. But now all the games are Lamble field and, and, you have like these grand caravans that go up from the. So all the Milwaukee's season ticket holders got to keep their seats, so they have seats for two games a year, and then the Green Bay ticket holders have seats for the other six games a year, or something like that. It's this whole convoluted thing, but the, the the net of it is, is like, I mean, Wisconsin is is I mean, it's Packers country. I mean, more than more than anything else. I mean, it is it is you cannot go, you know, in the football season you can't go five feet without in, encountering some sort of you know. Packers paraphernalia.
0: Somehow they're taken seriously, yet their fans are called cheeseheads. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah,
1: the the, the cheesehead thing is something that all Wisconsinites have to come to grips with eventually. <laughs>
0: Apple Maps. <laughs> Apple Map says it's a two-hour drive from Milwaukee to Green Bay. Does that sound right to you?
1: Yeah, and and I think the um yeah in yep it's it's a beautiful drive, but I think on on stadium days it's probably or uh, game days it's probably a lot longer because it, it's it's a whole caravan moving up. Yeah. Um. All right. and yeah, well, the other, the other thing that's more interesting to me is that uh, you need to get back into, into basketball. I do. Because your I, uh, Philadelphia 76ers are shaping up to be the, the 76ers-Milwaukee <laughs> Bucks rivalry over the next 10 years is, is going to be
0: No, I'm serious. It's going to be amazing. I know. We've got uh, – what's his name? Joel Embiid. And he's super exciting. Uh, you know, I saw him at a restaurant here in Philadelphia a couple, couple – I, actually i was going to say weeks ago might have been months ago uh he was uh we went out to dinner at a nice little uh, steakhouse here and uh, and he was there and he's he's a very tall man yeah <laughs> he draws he's a lot huge. of attention <laughs> yeah i am not uh, i i I have been around uh, like college basketball players. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not always, uh, you know, I've been around Craig Hockenberry. I know what it's like to not even be close to being the tallest person in a room. I'm generally close, and you're a pretty tall guy. I am pretty tall. I'm six foot two. It, it's pretty tall, and it's usually maybe if not the tallest, you're you're up there. I'm not used to being around somebody who would have to stoop to put his chin on top of my head. <laughs> Right. It is very, very large, but the other exciting thing about the Sixers is uh, Ben Simmons. His his foot is is healing quite nicely, they say.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he'll be back soon. So, well, the uh, yeah, I know what you mean about tall. The I mean the Bucks star player is uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo.
0: Oh, say uh, it again. Say it again. <laughs>
1: Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, which is a Nigerian name that was translated into Greek and then now is here in the US. Everyone just calls him Giannis, including Bucks fans. Yeah, they should just but, uh, change his name. Just
0: get rid of that last name and just change him, you know, like Madonna, just like Giannis.
1: You <laughs> might as well be on NBA Twitter, but, but he was in Taiwan actually a couple of years ago, and I got the chance to meet him when he was here. And I, I, it's on my Instagram for it's like 86 weeks ago, but uh, but yeah, I am, I come up to below his shoulder. <laughs> he is, I mean, it's just he's 6'11. He's
0: just like, it's ridiculous. So, with the Sixers, the Sixers are a good case study to me of uh, one of my fundamental theories of sports, which makes no sense, but I believe it firmly, which is that you don't screw with your uniforms, you pick a uniform that is going to last for the ages. And then you you tweak it as minorly as possible through the decades. That's number one reason why my favorite team in the world is the Yankees. Yankees they don't screw with the uniforms. Babe Ruth's uniform was like the same as the uniform they wear today except that it was like uh made out of I don't know, felt or something some different material than the polyester that they can do today. Um you know the Yankees tried cotton in the George Costanza era, didn't work out. Uh, but in terms of the way the uniform looks, they don't mess with it. The Dallas Cowboys don't mess with the uniforms. When they have, they 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 have they used to have like a special like Sunday night uniform with stars on the shoulders, and they lost every game they played with those uniforms. The Green oh, those Bay are pa-
1: terrible. Those they, are bad ones.
0: They look terrible. There, it was just a stupid excuse to sell a third jersey to people who wanted to have every jersey. One of the things that's great about the Green Bay Packers, Green Bay Packers look like the Green Bay Packers. If you look at like Super Bowl one and you see Bart Starr leading the team to the first Super Bowl 51 years ago, they look like the team that's playing today because they don't screw with the uniform. This Philadelphia 76ers had a great uniform. What I mean, it's a great name. I mean, uh, who knows what sense it makes? But, I mean, Philadelphia is where the country started. You call them the 76ers. So there you go. You go patriotic. You got to be red, white, and blue, right? It, but somehow during the Allen Iverson era, they changed to uh, black, gold, oh, and those, red. Oh, yeah. How, how, like
1: a star, this weird star. Yeah. Right.
0: How can a team in Philadelphia that's named after the, the American Revolution in, or, or independence, whatever you want to call it, in 76, not be red, white, and blue? and yet they did and then they had you know terrible Well, of course they had terrible records how can you win when you're going against the sports gods by by screwing with your uniform now the sixers have gone back to it's not quite the classic i i kind of don't like the way they spell out sixers on the uniform uh i feel like they ought to go back to the pure dr j era uniform but it's close enough
1: yeah no i mean the bucks are definitely fit with that i mean they're so first off, their classic uniform and their classic logo are both amazing. Um, the, the classic logo is this like cartoony buck kissing a basketball. Yeah, I love it. It's sort of like <laughs> it's sort of like uh, he's uh, got a green green bullwinkle. sweater on. Sort of like bullwinkle, right. yeah. Right, and they had great uniforms back in the '80s, and that's when the team was good. They won the title in the '70s with, with, with uh, then Luel Sindor, later Kareem Abdul Jabbar, and then they, they were good in the '80s. You know, always lost to your '76ers and Celtics, but uh, very strong team. Then 1993, they they <laughs> had this awful logo that's like the purple and this terrible it, it was just awful the uniforms were bad yeah. and they've been pretty much terrible ever since they had like one good year since then uh and then in 2015 they did a redesign which is not the old logo but it's the uniforms especially are are definitely a go back to the original especially this kind of this this paneling on the side that yeah. looks really really good and sure enough the team's fortunes yep. have are looking up but but there's this hilarious tweet you got to put in the show notes um <laughs> that the tweet reads it's, you have to read it to, to appreciate it it reads america's slow but very real decline into a fascist state as told by the Milwaukee bucks logo <laughs> and just go look just follow the link you have to see the tweet to appreciate it but i promise you you'll laugh your rear end off because
0: it's 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 really funny all right i will put it in the show notes all right, before we get off sports, let me give you this. I'm gonna to toss this out there. Here we go. Here's a here's here's a contentious argument. Top quarterbacks of all time. Mm. That is a contentious you argument. You sent me a link you sent me a link last night to a video uh you sent it, right? Of the was it you? You No, I, I don't think so. It wasn't you who sent me the link to the uh the cab with John Elway in it? oh yeah I did I did send that yeah yeah that was that was great so the, somebody was in a cab in Pittsburgh <laughs> and talking to their cab driver about who the greatest quarterbacks of all time were, and his even though this guy was a cab driver in Pittsburgh, his number one pick was John Elway, and it just so happened that among the people in the cab one of <laughs> one of them was John Elway, and they let it go on for two or three minutes before they. They let the cab driver know. Whoever
1: was filming in the middle was pretty devious about it. She's like, oh, do you think he's attractive? Would you want to sleep with him? And then she goes like, I bet you'd sleep with him. And it's like his wife right next to him. Right.
0: (laughs) All right. Top quarterbacks of all time. All right. Let me ask you this. I'll just give you a simple question. Who's better, Favre or uh, Aaron Rodgers? Oh. Uh, (laughs) I think
1: from a – a pure between the lines perspective, uh, Rogers is probably better. Just like Favre's recklessness made him great, but it it went over, like it cost us a lot of games. You're
0: blinded um, by your fandom.
1: The answer is clearly no, Aaron Rodgers. No. Okay, well, but yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but from a meaning, a legendary status and the meaningfulness of the franchise, I, I would have to go with. I Favre. No. Rodgers needs to win win a couple more Super Bowls to
0: surpass him. Right now, they're both at one, which no. is shamefully well, well, in they my could, opinion. It doesn't matter. Aaron Rodgers can never win another Super Bowl, and it doesn't matter. Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Brett Favre.
1: Yeah, fair, fair enough. But if you take the like the totality of their contribution to the Green Bay Packers, it's it's more complicated. But yeah, I would I, I would agree with that. You're, you're right. I am bland, blinded by my being an impressionable teenage boy and Brett Favre basically like saving
0: my sports life. Did you see my link uh, the other day to uh, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog at the inauguration? I, I saw it. I did. I didn't. I, I haven't watched it though. Well, at the end, when he first has to utter the words "President" and then followed by the word "Trump," every time he tries to say it, he starts vomiting. <laughs> That's how I feel. With me saying that among the top five of all time at this point, you've absolutely positively got to include uh, Tom Brady. There oh, I go. Yeah, I'll edit it, it, it hurts. Out. It hurts to say it. It hurts. I'm going to gonna say edit it. it out. Here I am. I'm puking right now. Ah, oh, there it goes. Whew. It hurts. There goes. There goes my breakfast. But it's undeniable at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean the record speaks. I mean the record speaks for itself. Obviously, I mean seventh Super Bowl. Um, it's always tricky to like separate the the greatest quarterbacks from the greatest coaches. Like yeah. where, where, how does that relationship actually play out? Because so many right? like, of them are in the same conversation, right? Right. Well, I mean, well, how, what if Rodgers had been the quarterback of the Patriots for the last 15 years? Like would his, would, would the, right. they be better or worse or the same? Like it, it's almost impossible. I mean, I, Mike McCarthy is an okay coach. I think he's, he gets probably more grief than he deserves, but at the same time, Like he's not even in the same universe as Bill Belichick, and uh, and you know what difference does that make? Or someone like Joe Montana and like you know uh, Bill Walsh was so far ahead of everyone when it comes to his scheme and things like that. And you had Jerry Rice. I mean, like, but he was a great quarterback. But that's and this one, I mean, football is tough because it's where do you where do you sort of figure out
0: where the boundary is? Roger Staubach and Tom Landry. I mean, Tom Landry literally invented the shotgun formation. Like, that was something that was like, it's like, you watch it now, there are some teams that never even don't, they they, they even use the shotgun on running plays now. And to think that, that it was like a loophole in the rules... <laughs> yeah. Where well, he, the, he like read the rule book and he was like, you know, there's nothing that says you have to like hand the ball from the center to the quarterback. We could just like toss it back five yards. <laughs> basically, all
1: football is like discovering and exploiting loopholes.
0: Right. <laughs> like I mean, the forward pass is basically a loophole, right? Uh, sort of, yeah. I think in the long term, yeah. Uh, Dan Marino, Don Shula, right? It's, it's the, all the quarterbacks that you mentioned, almost everyone who I think you would mention in the, if you're going to put together a top five list, have a coach who is arguably in the top five. That's
1: why John John Elway might be the best though.
0: Like that's because he's the one might be right. Right. That Elway's the one who you're like, who the hell was his coach? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Right. It wasn't like Greaves or Graves, or oh, I don't even know he went to, he went to
1: Atlanta later, but yeah, he finally won with Mike Shanahan at, at the end of his career, right but yeah, I mean, it, it, to my mind, that I'd almost tempted to pick him for that reason alone, because like there's really no one else you can ascribe his greatness to
0: right All right, let's take another break and thank our next sponsor, and then we'll get on to the real meat of the show. and our next sponsor is a great company ero e e. RO. Look, Wi-Fi is more important today than it's ever been. Uh, most of us have our whole house. We have, we're connected with devices that are on the internet. And how are they on the internet? They're on the internet through Wi-Fi. Outside the smartphone, it's probably the technology we depend on most. It, it's a core utility of the 21st century home. But despite its importance, Wi-Fi is broken. Imagine if your electricity in your house didn't reach certain parts. Or like it was intermittent, like you got really good electricity uh, in your living room, but in your master bedroom, it's like eh, some days it's okay. Sometimes, you know, you don't get electricity. Well, you'd call an electrician right away. It'd be like my house is broken, right? But that's what Wi-Fi is like for a lot of us because we have one Wi-Fi router and Reaches some places, doesn't reach others. Why eero was designed to change all this? The company manufactures right now a single device. It is a small, elegant box about the size of an Apple TV with sort of Apple TV like round corners. And it's nice and white. And it's kind of, it's really a nice little, beautiful little box. Very simple, very small. And the idea is you get a couple of them. Their default pack comes with three. You can get four. You can get five. You get however many you need. Um, but the idea is you, you put them around your house and they form what they call a mesh network where the Eros talk to each other and then they fill your whole house with distributed Wi-Fi. And you don't have to sit there and, and be like a network manager and configure this. You don't sit there and pick channels and frequencies and, and stuff like that. All you have to do is just... With common sense, put them in the rooms where you're actually going to use them and where there might be walls between you know, the one that's connected to your uh, cable modem. That's all you have to do. They have a great app. You manage the whole thing from an app on your iPhone. It couldn't be easier. It's got a great interface. Uh, they have incredible customer support too. This is something that the company has really invested in. You can call and get a hold of a real Wi-Fi expert, not like a robot, but like a human being who, you know, a lot of people, you can set up these zeros, and you never have, you will, you'll just plug them in and they'll just work. If they do encounter a problem, if there's something weird about your setup, if there's something weird about your house, you can call them up and within 30 seconds, you can get a real person at ERO on the phone. It's a great product. I've got them set up here. My Wi-Fi has never been better in the house. Than when I've had ERO. Uh, it's currently rated 4.4 stars on Amazon with a whopping 750 reviews. It offers a one year warranty and it will work with your existing modem and internet service. So this is really great. Go to ero.com. Remember the promo code, the talk show, all one word, the talk show. And that will get you free, expedited shipping. Just pause the podcast right now. Go to eero.com. Remember that code, the talk show. And you'll have these things like tomorrow or maybe the next day with free expedited shipping. And you set them up in your house and you'll have better Wi-Fi. So my thanks to them. It's a great product. I'm using them right now. You're hearing me talk to Ben over at Euro uh, Wi-Fi routers. Couldn't work better. Uh, what else is on the agenda, Ben.
1: Well, I mean, Eero is, I guess, the the go-to recommendation now because Apple doesn't make
0: routers anymore. Well, they, they, well, they, they sell do. Them. <laughs> they sell them. But they don't, they, they arguably, seemingly don't make new ones. And then according to uh, uh, Scoop German, uh, they've canceled making new ones. So who knows?
1: Scoop German, that's good. She, she's calling that from now on.
0: Uh, who knows what the hell's going on with them with that? I so, don't know.
1: So I I am I, I did want to talk to you about this because I okay. I haven't really found I've kind of mentioned it in passing uh, in a daily update or two but I haven't really found a good occasion to, like write about it doesn't necessarily fit I don't write about like my whole thing is I don't write about products I write about like business models and stuff like that but I find uh, the a lot of the Mac angst to be both understandable I think I get where it's coming from and also to be uh, way overwrought and over the top. And not
0: not necessarily connected to reality. The Mac angst, meaning in a nutshell, Apple clearly doesn't care about the Mac anymore. They want everybody to just use iPads and iPhones. And they're doing everything they can to undermine the Mac. And uh, within a year or two... It's going to be gone in five years. It'll be gone. Yeah, Yeah, it'll be gone.
1: Uh, Yeah, I I think the... uh, it obviously it's all crescendoed with the release of the MacBook Pro, which um much to my great sadness and consternation, did not come with a Apple branded monitor, which I was looking forward to buying very yeah. much. Uh, and and so and then obviously there was the you know, people complain about the memory, they complained about how the battery life, how thin it was, the port situation, all that. But I think that was just that just happened to be the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Because what was so weird about the MacBook Pro being the trigger for all this angst is that the MacBook Pro is the single best piece of evidence that Apple is still investing in the Mac. I mean, say what you will about the touch bar and whether it's going to actually be something that makes using a Mac better or not, I think that will remain to be seen over the long run, but it clearly required a tremendous amount of investment and effort, which presuming apple is a rationally run company and by all accounts the complaints are app is that apple is being too rationally run they would not make that investment if they were gonna abandon the damn platform yep. so so it, it it i i we can get into why the angst is there but it's it's
0: really kind of ironic that it happened around this particular product it it i i'm with you I, and i don't know how better to make my case i got a, a Uh, I wouldn't say a friend, but a source, somebody I've known for years who's worked at Apple and I hear from occasionally. And like many people who are longtime Apple employees, seems to, you know, every 18 months or so, moves around within the company to different teams, um, worked on a certain aspect of Touch Bar support. It was a software side thing um, for a while. And then right after it shipped... In like, you know, like maybe like three days, I, I, you know, I like a DM conversation with him and he was, and one of the things he said is, I hope this puts the rest, the notion that we don't that Apple doesn't care about the Mac. Because this is a, good, this is a guy who spent like 18 months working on that I know, because it, it was hardware and a custom chip. It had this
1: display. It had it – had, the software support was incredible, right? right? All their apps had it built in. They had all these frameworks developed so third-party right. developers could use it. Like It was a multifaceted – you know, effort that involved right. every single part of the company, so that that trigger that Apple doesn't care about the Mac is is again again. I think there were justifiable reasons for the angst, right. but it was just bizarre that this was the triggering
0: event. Right. You, I, I, I will listen to you and and maybe you know nod my head in agreement if you say I'm not happy with the direction they're taking the Mac. i right. uh, uh, If your argument is Apple and tim cook don't care about the mac period and they're letting it wither because they're done with it I, I i i can't see it i really can't it doesn't make any sense and like somebody else i i've had i've gotten more like the, the the reaction that reaction to the to these macbook pros really did drive a lot of sources out of the woodwork at apple like i've heard just bits and pieces from a bunch of people who are so frustrated by the reaction and like uh One source who would be in a position to know, I mean, not super high, but, you know, somebody who would know, uh, said that they literally spent, quote unquote, hundreds of millions of dollars developing the new MacBook Pros, and that they, they could have saved all of that by just putting updated Intel chips into the old MacBook Pro hardware, like, which would be like if so, if like we waited this long and then new MacBook Pros came out in November or October, whenever it was, and they were just exactly like the old ones, except they had new Intel chips and maybe they had the high gamut, you know, high color gamut displays, but otherwise, you know, visually indistinguishable from them. That would be further like uh, fodder for the conspiracy theory that the Mac is on the way out right
1: because they didn't do they just did the minimum viable sort of right. sort of thing
0: but they literally spent hundreds of millions of dollars developing these they expect them to be like the foundation of the product line for years to come and yet people see this as proof that that they're they're trying to get everybody to buy iPads
1: right and it's funny because like i mean even the the MacBook Pro like there was a relatively long delay The last release uh, of the MacBook Pro was in May of 2015, which uh, and then that was the 15 inch. The 13 inch was updated in March 2015. So to wait a you know year and a half was a relatively relatively long time, but it wasn't like an obscene amount of time, right? Uh, And. And before that, it'd be, you know, mid-2014, late 2013, early 2013, Retina 2012, mid-2012. So it slowed down a little bit, but, I mean, for all the right. things that have been discussed and about Intel and stuff like that, that's understandable. And also developing the touch bar uh, presumably introduced delays, right? Because right. they, when you got your review units, they sent, they sent you the touch bar that unit two like weeks a later. week later. Or no, two, yeah, two weeks, two weeks later. later. So, yeah, so the MacBook Pro has certainly been, you know, it's been fine all along. The iMac has been fine all along, although it wasn't updated this year, which I think, you know, added to a little bit. I mean, clearly it, it seems to mostly come back to, you know, the sort of MacBook Pro debacle. And, and that's why your point about the hundreds of millions of dollars invested in the MacBook Pro, I think is actually a really, really interesting and telling point because they're not going to necessarily make up that money on this version of the MacBook Pro, right? No. Presumably they're going to be using the touch bar in – for several generations of the MacBook Pro and hopefully on external keyboards and, and things like that, which means they, they will pay it off over time, right? And that's how like business works. You make these massive upfront investments and then every you try to sell more units, you could spread out those that investment over more and more units, right? And uh, the reason I why I think that's really telling is I think it starts to get into what went wrong with the MacBook Pro or with, sorry, with the Mac Pro, but but it, that's more of a sort of a really fascinating screw up that might have happened, as opposed to an, an, an abandonment of the entire platform.
0: Yeah, and and it, you know, let's make it clear. I mean, let's not brush it under the carpet. The the fact is that the Mac Pro is a complete embarrassment to the company. It, it's it, it it's a debacle. It is absolutely ridiculous that they're selling. Uh, a uh, 1100 or 1200 day at this point old computer at the same price with no updated components it's it it's clearly a disaster and it's not a great sign for the mac as a platform but it, it, I, I don't think you can extrapolate from it that the entire platform is has lost the company's attention
1: Right, and so I, this, so to me, this Mac Pro thing is again. I don't write about products per se, so I haven't really dug into it too much. I, I did kind of touch on it a little bit in a daily update before Christmas, but to me, this Mac Pro thing is one of the most interesting untold stories about Apple right now. Like, there's no, like, it's impossible to draw any conclusion beyond that there was a massive, massive screw up here, and and I and. My I, I I mean do you want to theorize? I, I have my theory. Um, yeah, that's that's what podcasts are for. <laughs> so so my theory. So the reason I mentioned that bit about the MacBook Pros and all the investment that goes into it is when Apple the cost that it took to develop this new Mac Pro, the trash can Mac Pro, was certainly substantial. All you know, hundreds yep. of millions of dollars, I'm sure. maybe, you know, maybe even more. Who knows? And Apple would have counted on Earning back that investment over not just this 2013 model, but presumably a 2014 model, 2015 model, et cetera, for probably like at least 10 years. Like they were probably planning on having this design. Yeah.
0: Or the the better part of a decade at the very least.
1: Right. So my best guess is that this design is fundamentally flawed in some way. I think it's fundamentally flawed in general because I, I don't, I think, uh, it makes people buy stuff they don't need necessarily. And we can get into like this, but but there's something from a business perspective that's fundamentally flawed about this model. Maybe there's a super high failure rate and they're having to always return them and exchange them like that, which totally destroys your margins. That's possible. But the problem is if you dropped hundreds of millions of dollars into a design and it fails, and you have to you have to decide what are you going to do now are you going to stick with it well that's not an option so are you going to redesign it but then you're going to reinvest hundreds of millions of dollars into a market that is pretty tiny the Mac Pro market is not a big market and and I think what ha- my suspicion of what happened is that this was a flawed design that Apple felt they could not continue to make The problem was the Mac Pro market wasn't – they had to eat hundreds of millions of dollars in losses because they didn't build enough because they abandoned the product. And it wasn't – it just – they couldn't make the case to invest another, let's say, $500 million to build a new version. And now they're trying to like figure something out. And, and. you could say they should do it we have argue about they should do it they should eat that cost because it's a halo product all that sort of thing but i can certainly sketch out a scenario where it just makes zero financial sense for them to go forward basically this product doomed the entire line that, that that's my that's my best guess about what happened
0: yeah i think it was you know something along those lines has to be true right it it, it has to be um and i think that it, and then you, you can extrapolate from there and at a certain point Apple, even as an institution, and even as, in my opinion, a relatively straightforward, uh, uh, realistic institution, they still have uh, a, 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 a human side, and, and there's pride and ego involved. And it logically, if they were purely logical, you could just say, you know what, it was a terrible mistake, we're going right back to the old cheese grater uh big box, here you go, here's a new Mac Pro with the old cheese grater and updated, you know, state-of-the-art Intel chips and and modern ports on the back. And, and, and an 18x SuperDrive? Right, and <laughs> and there are tens of thousands of people waiting for new Mac Pro who would be like, "Thank you," and they would be happy. But Apple's not going to do that, you know. Like, and honestly, I think it, at, at some level it comes down to pride. They're just not going to do it for pride alone, which you know is frustrating if you're the pro waiting for modern 2016 or, or honestly, even 2015 level pro hardware here in the beginning of 2017 uh but they're not going to do that like they they really you know in a, in a figurative sense painted themselves in a corner with this
1: yeah absolutely and i think you linked to um uh to a, re- a really insightful article about this and someone making the point that the this that 2013 introduction was like apple it was also pride. It was Apple's hubris seeing the best of them, and like people are complaining we're not innovating. Well, you know, screw them. Look at this, and you ended up with a design that was looked amazing, was beautiful, but again, whether it was reliability or just the, the core architecture or whatever it was, was was fundamentally flawed. Again, we're speculating, but was fundamentally flawed in in some way that had they not set out to prove the world to the world that they could, you know, innovate my ass, might have come up with something a little more practical that would yep. you know, pay itself off as,
0: as as necessary to continue as a viable product. And I, I still firmly believe, I think they were way, too, you know, it's a case of being way too far ahead of their time. Um, I still think that fundamentally, it is the future of pro-computing, and I think that having a big box that you plug things into like internal drives and internal cards is the way things were, but it's not the way of the future. And I think the way of the future is a smaller self-contained box that if you it, you do need to expand it for pro, true pro reasons, you're going to expand on the outside through very high bandwidth. I mean, whether USB-C and Thunderbolt 3 is is fast enough to be that or not? I don't know. Maybe it's the next generation thing. But at some point, I firmly believe that a pro hardware is just a simple small box, and then the expansion will all be external. And you just, and with one simple thing that you plug in, and there it goes, you get enough power, you get enough bandwidth that you don't need to open the box and put the thing inside. Because to me, that and you know I've gotten pushback on this on, on private channels and Slack that we're on, but I'd I, Whether the world is there right now in 2017 or not, I don't know. But I think, I still think that's firmly where the future is. But this Mac Pro launched three or four, what was it, 2013, 2014? A long time ago, long enough ago. 2013. And the world wasn't there yet, you know? For all expansion to be on the outside, I think it's the right design for the long term, but it wasn't the right design for then, and it certainly isn't
1: for now. But yeah, well, the other thing, the other thing too is I, I feel like Pro hardware sh- should be the most conservative, though, in some respects, in the way it it progresses. I mean, there's in some aspects it can be faster. Pros will pay for it; they'll do the upgrades, things like that. But like, especially when it comes to anything performance related, because I, mean, I think the 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 Mac Pro has Thunderbolt two. Which um, Thunderbolt two? Uh, I can't remember how many lanes. I mean, it's PCI Express, but it has yeah. uh, not very many lanes, and so you know, yeah, I think you're right. There was the idea wasn't necessarily wrong. The timing was wrong, and, um, and you know, if they were to do the other thing too, is I think this forcing people to buy two at least at the time, high-end video cards. And today, you still have to pay like their high-end video cards, even though they're super obsolete. Right. I think that this had two big problems. One is that video card technology is progressing much faster than processor technology, which means that the Mac Pro got older faster, right? Even Like the processors in the Mac Pro are still totally, relatively viable today, right? They're not that far behind, particularly in single-thread performance. But the the GPUs are way behind. And for right. a computer that's predicated on GPUs, that's a big problem. Right. And the other thing is you had people like developers, in particular, who wanted to buy this. They don't need two GPUs. They don't need a processing GPU, per se, or, or a, a high-end GPU. for. They just need an integrated GPU to be totally fine for them. And so if they were going to do... If they're going to really make it integrated. I think they need to wait until... They could get to a point where they could have a computer that's basically a processor and memory and like a boot drive, and then once Thunderbolt four or five comes along, it can actually really saturate you know high end graphics cards or, or the bus. That then you break those art those out too, right? right? You drop the cost by a thousand bucks, it becomes a much more
0: you know a computer that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So Mac Pro totally screwed. Not necessarily, and in my opinion definitely not in my opinion not indicative that the mac platform as a whole is is screwed or painted in a corner the other thing i like to point out and it it's as much proof as the macbook pros the new ones with the touch bar that apple hasn't lost interest institutionally in the Mac is the fact that the OS is still on a yearly annual upgrade schedule and they're pretty good (laughs) upgrades.
1: And we'd all like it to be slower.
0: Right. If anything, I would rather have them go to a two year schedule and spend entire years on just like fixing bugs and, and spit and polish, you know, as opposed to adding new features. Um, but it's it's on a much more vigorous upgrade schedule and rigorous and vigorous uh than it was in the early years of the iPhone when they literally had to issue a press release saying we've we've had to delay the upgrade to Mac OS because we've pulled engineers to finish uh the iphone OS
1: right yeah, it has been this way for a long time, yeah, I think that. In the, in the at the end of the day, too, I mean, uh, yes, there's like the the Swift playgrounds, or whatever on on the iPad, but I mean, like, I, I mean, Apple, <laughs> Apple's like they're not stupid, right? I mean, it's we. I will talk probably talk about the App Store in a little bit, and it, there's lots of things to complain about Apple's treatment of developers from a business perspective. Um, I certainly have plenty of opinions in that regard, but from a development perspective, I mean, Apple's been. You know, has always been very cognizant of what its developers need and whatnot, and to suggest that they're going to abandon the platform that cr- that makes their their moneymakers possible. I mean, it, it's 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 as it, it, it's describing it. It just doesn't make sense. Like there, there is a an Occam's Razor explanation here, which I think explains the Mac Pro. It explains. Why it's not updated explains why there's probably not gonna be another Mac Pro. Because you can I can sketch it on a spreadsheet right now why it probably makes zero sense to build another one. Um and that sucks. It was a total screw up. Hopefully, someone will write the tell article sometime because it'd be really fascinating to to get the full story of when Apple just really did totally screw up a product. But yeah, to extrapolate from that, there's just it it doesn't make sense. No. Uh I'm said, still bummed. I I'm still irritated about the no Apple logo display though.
0: Yeah, that is and it's true because it's not just a product for Mac Pro users. It I would guess that over the years Apple has probably sold more standalone displays to Mac Book Pro users than to Mac Pro users because I think yeah, the, Mac-
1: the, the Thunderbolt display was pretty explicitly marketed as a like the box itself has a Thunderbolt display
0: attached to a laptop right like it's pretty clear what it's for. Uh, yeah, I, I I I I would be shocked if they if there are more of them that were hooked up to Mac Pros than to MacBook Pros and and that's saying that knowing that most MacBook Pro users never use any display other than the one that's built into the laptop. But even so, I think that the the number of uh, 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 laptops that are that are sold compared to desktops is so uh, extraordinarily lopsided, and that most of those laptops that are sold are iMacs that have a built in display. Um, I think it's so lopsided that it's clearly meant for that, and so it is disappointing. and And it does seem from early going that people who've bought this LG, the LG five K display, some of them love it. But there are people – people are having weird problems with it. Yeah. I had and, somebody yeah. – I didn't link to it and because weird. it's so anecdotal. But somebody wrote in to Daring Fireball – I mean, it's a perfect podcast material, so I, I won't write about it, but I'll talk about it – where somebody wrote in, and they had problems and uh, it had, like, weird interference, and they were taking it into the store, and then they couldn't reproduce it at the Genius Bar – and, you know, just imagine what a pain in the ass it is to bring a 27 inch display back and forth to an Apple store, et cetera. And it turned out that moving, uh, he had his airport router, he had an Apple airport router uh, on his desk, and moving it away from his desk fixed the interference on the LG 5K display. That literally, yeah. you know, and he said it's, you know, and he, you know, I, again, I, I, I'm not going to write about it because it's like one guy with one case, and I don't know, but I've seen other people with these interference, you know, with with weird problems on this, and it, like what a weird problem, but it's like it's the sort of thing that a normal person is never going to figure out. If 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 it turns out that for whatever reason having their airport router too close to the display causes it to have weird interference how is a normal person going to figure that out and it's the sort of thing that apple the apple's apple branded displays are. were they're not just aesthetically pleasing they really are just terrific displays always have always were i can't say well they are they are tanks i mean the
1: uh i actually have mine sitting on my desk uh because not using one of those mounts because i couldn't it 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 weighs like five times as much as a normal monitor of, of similar size <laughs> so i'm guessing that's probably why it handles the shielding better but uh but yeah i mean it's one of those things i i could never understand why you would pay so much for a monitor until i had a job that bought one for me hmm. and <laughs> it was like oh okay i get it now i i will never not buy another one of these again and now my thunderbolt display is failing and uh and i can't buy another one and i'm very sad
0: i had a 20 inch i, I don't know what the name was but it was I couldn't at the time when I bought it, I couldn't get a bigger one. I think there was it was like 20 and 23s, and I bought the 20 inch. I mean, it was probably like 2000 or something. Was that the plastic
1: framing and like the the two legs? No, it had it was
0: aluminum, it had an aluminum frame. Uh, I had it and I had it. I mean, I went through like three or four Macs while I was using it, and you know, and I'm sure it was more or less like when I finally got rid of it, it wasn't because it was broken, it was just like I, I, I think I used it up until I got this twenty yeah, I, probably I bet, had it on yeah. my desk until I got this 27 inch iMac two and a half years ago. It it just ran and ran and ran. It was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, my my monitor works fine. It's the uh the USB, all that stuff uh no longer works or it works very sketchily. And so th- that I've been using that for like the camera, and also I had all my stuff plugged into it. So now I do the laptop, and I move around a lot. And so every time I sit down, I have to plug in like five things every single time, right. and I have to use the sound from my laptop speakers. And yeah, so it's more the display itself is fine. It's the it's the sort of docking capability that is gone.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, let me take a break here and thank
1: our third... What, sorry, just a second. I do think, though, the, no. the the one thing that is worth, as long as we're here, because abandoning the, uh, the Apple display, we start with the airport thing. I, this stuff, I think, does fit more in the kind of critique of Apple as being... You know, to quote unquote spreadsheet driven or mm. operationally driven or whatever the, the the critique is of of sort of Tim Cook and Apple generally, and I think that is a fair one because that, what that gets into is um, you know Apple never sold routers to make money on routers. They sold routers because it would ensure that the experience of using your Apple device was better than it would be when than it would be otherwise, and. You know, same thing with with the display. You didn't Apple didn't sell, sell display because they were going to make money on displays. Well, they probably made money given how much they charge for them. But it kind of like it lets you be a. You know, it kind of lets you. Some respects, it was a better experience. That's true. But also having that big tank on your desk with the Apple logo on it. I mean it. It, it lets you be an Apple person in some respects, and I think that part that that to me that is more concerning in a way because it's. Apple is making decisions that are driven by, it seems like anyway, they're making decisions driven by the bottom line, not driven by this sort of halo sort of thinking about what it means to be an Apple customer, Uh, if that makes sense. Take
0: a step back, take, take a deep breath, and just be there as a customer. And see what the overall experience is like. And again, to draw an analogy, I make it over and over and over again, but just to to compare Apple to Disney, and you go to a Disney theme park, you go to any other theme park and you buy a, a hot dog and a soda. And then when you're done with it, you go to the trash can and the trash can is like filled to the brim, overflowing. And it's like, what do you do? Do you like kind of rest the thing on top? What what do you do with your garbage when the trash can is already full? You go to a Disney theme park and the trash cans are never full because they spend the money to have people constantly emptying the trash cans so that they're always, and, and they're never filthy. They're, you never feel like you're grossed out by like putting your garbage in there. It just works, right? It, you just, the, and it's such a little thing to have garbage cans that are not full and not covered with grime. And you can just always throw your trash away, That's what having Apple branded Wi-Fi routers was like back in the day where it was like, you know, they didn't need to make them. You could, you know, buy Netgear or whatever other ones there were. But the fact that you could just go in the Apple store if you needed to and just say, just give me, you know, I got to set up Wi-Fi in my house. Tell me what to buy and you buy it and go home and hook it up and it would work. Uh, It was the same sort of thing. It wasn't about making money for the company. It was like, look, you're an Apple customer. It's going to, you know, we'll take care of you. It doesn't matter whether we're making money on this or not, right? Do do you really? Does you know would would Disney theme parks make less money if they cut their number of people emptying the trash cans in half? Probably not, or at least not for a long time. It would take a while for it to show up, but you know, it's just part of the experience. You know that you can do it,
1: right? And the, and and if that feels like the part that is. Uh, that's the concerning part. Like that's more con- like the Mac Pro. Like I, I really feel like there's a business explanation for it that you can make. The and it's it's one of those ones where it's just you know I it's one of those, I can see it being a hard decision, but a decision that had to be made. Yeah. The router in this case, it's like the business decision is like too obvious. <laughs> like it's like it's very clear. Like this is a distraction. We're not making money. Blah blah blah. Whatever it might be. But yeah, it, it, it's. It is. It's hard to explain that away as anything other than focusing on resources and margins, and not focusing on the experience. Because I, I just, I even today, as things are, have gotten better, but I don't know how you can say that we are focused on delivering the best possible experience and be and becoming these peripherals. I mean, again, if you take take the experience holistically, and yeah, you can go to Apple Store and say, "Oh, my computer's Wi Fi isn't working." Oh, it's probably that. It's probably a bad router. Like. That yes, is that Apple's fault? No, maybe not. But does that make their customers' life more challenging? It does, and it's a shame that they 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 seem to not care about that as much.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I kind of feel it's like they're they're it, the problem isn't that that they don't care about the Mac period. The it, it's kind of like which would be alarming and i've said this before too like i am a diehard mac user like like if i had to choose between uh only ever using ios devices or only ever using mac os devices as much as i love my iphone i would rather switch to an android phone and have a mac to work than to have an iphone and ipad and use anything else at my desk for work because it's that—that's how much the Mac means to me in terms of my workflow for working. If I didn't, if I like uh, somehow retired or if I, you know, uh, I don't know, became a lumberjack, whatever else I would do as a career, uh and didn't work in a way that I that I use the Mac, I I would rather have an iPhone. I guess you know I I know I would rather have an iPhone, and I guess I would choose to to use a iOS over Mac. Period. But because my work is At a computer, the Mac means that much to me. That's how much, Uh, and so I I care about this profoundly. Whether Apple cares, but the way I see it is not so much that Apple is is like moving away from the Mac, but more or less that Apple is just giving the Mac shit work. You know, like almost like they're taking advantage of the Mac.
1: I mean that's okay though. I mean I think the the point that people are kind of vaguely aware of, but you know certainly front and center to me being on this side of the world in Asia is that you know here people kind of skipped over PCs in some respects, and and so that makes mobile really interesting because the way people use mobile here is just way more in depth and pervasive than it is in in the states where everyone had a computer at one point. And people still use computers at, out, out of habit. And so and, and that's where app the growth is for Apple. And Apple does make the vast majority of their money on the iPhone. And you know, and the iPad is is you know the future and you, you see your kids use it, these devices and all that sort of thing. I totally get it. And it's totally a totally valid thing to thing to say. But that's also where the the router thing is particularly interesting because the router is just as important to the iphone as it is to i mean i guess the iphone can fall back on on cellular networking maybe they think that home wi-fi is going to go away and again i guess you think about it in emerging markets it is more the case that you may not have home wi-fi but you do use wireless and maybe that maybe that's it maybe that is you know this is just looking forward to the future and the way things are but uh but yeah it, it i mean I guess that's the other thing too. Is like the you you talked about the the Mac Pro evolution, like putting in a new set of processors and an updated screen was, would have sounded great to me. I mean, in some respects, it's almost like this weird. It's like this weird codependent relationship between Apple and you mean its the MacBook Mac Pro users. MacBook Pro. Yeah, sorry, MacBook Pro. Like, I mean, MacBook, MacBook, Apple is like we need to support the Mac. You're right. It's the, it's, it's the truck quote unquote. We're going to dump all our shitty work on it and whatnot. And me, old macbook pro users are like, that's fine. All we want to do is like do our shitty work. Just give us a, just give us updated internals. So we, we totally happy. But I was like, no, we need to update it. We need to innovate it. It's like this weird sort of like this weird sort of relationship
0: between the two sides that, that is kind of weird. That's all I can say. It's weird. All right, let me take a break here and thank our third and final sponsor. It's our good friends at Casper. Casper makes an obsessively engineered mattress and they sell them at shockingly fair prices. Go to casper.com slash the talk show and use code the talk show, all one word, the talk show, and save 50 bucks towards your mattress. Casper has engineers, mattress engineers. These are engineers who only work on designing mattresses and they've designed one perfect mattress. It is a combination of memory foam and uh, uh, other technologies. (laughs) The bottom line is it's just one type of mattress. You don't have to go there and pick between uh, this style, that style, whatever. You just pick a size. You just pick a size. It comes to your house in a little box shockingly small box because it's made out of foam. They they sort of vacuum seal it. It's worth buying one of these mattresses just to get the box in your house to see how small a box they can put an entire like king or queen size mattress in. Uh, you open it up in the room. Don't open it up before you get it to your bedroom. Trust me. Read the bo- instructions on the box. You don't want to do that. Uh, you open it up and you have a beautiful mattress. It's right there. It makes a great sound. It sucks all the oxygen out of the air as it fills up. Uh, And it's great. I have one. It is terrific. It's like sleeping in a luxury hotel every night. Uh, And here's the thing. Like all these other companies that sponsor these podcasts... It sounds too good to be true. But the the reason it works is that they sell directly. The reason mattresses cost so much in other places is, is that there's, there's the whole middleman thing where the, from the factory to your bedroom, there's all of this markup uh, as it goes through the retail channel. And the expense of having like a big retail showroom where you walk around and try six different styles of mattress from different companies. And it's gross because all these other people have like, Jumped on the bed to try it out. Um, Casper takes out all that away. You buy it, it shows up at your house. You have a 100-night home trial. And if you don't love it, they will pick it up at your house and give you a full refund. You don't even have to pay to ship it back. You just get all your money back and they just take it away if you don't like it. They can do this because they know that people who buy them, they don't take it up on them because it's a great mattress. 100 night home trial, so you don't have to worry about the fact that you're buying a mattress online without actually trying it. So, next time you need a mattress or if you don't even if you think, "Hey, maybe my mattress is old and gross and it's, you know, It's kind of worn out. Just go there, get a new one, and you'll sleep better. What's better than sleep? I love to sleep. So go to casper.com slash the talk show. Remember that code, the talk show, and you will save 50 bucks towards your mattress. Go there and try it out. Love this sponsor. Cannot believe, still cannot believe that my career has ended up where I'm a mattress pitchman. (laughs) I I swear to God, this is my favorite, one of my all-time favorite sponsors in Daring Fireball slash the talk show history is Casper, just because I, I, you know, like when Squarespace sponsors the show, I told you, if you would have told me 10 years ago, hey, you you know, 10 years from now, you're going to be pitching like a service where you can set up your own website. I can think like, hey, that's great. That's sort of what I was hoping I would end up doing. That's great. If you had told me I would be selling mattresses, I just would be like, are you serious? But here I am. There you are. Uh, all right. What else is going on? How about this Chris Latner story? So, Chris Latner, creator of uh, LLVM compiler, uh, C Lang, uh, the original engineer behind Swift kind of worked on swift for like a year or two before uh showing it to his teammates at apple and then it was like a small team that worked on it sort of you know uh, fairly said the father of swift has left apple and is uh joining tesla and within a week or two uh and a couple of other people i mean there's sort of uh wouldn't call it like, a couple of people have written to me and said, like, well, you're linking to all these people who are leaving Apple for Tesla. Does this mean that there's, like, this huge brain drain going on where all the talent from Apple is leaving for Tesla? And thats I don't think that's the case, and I've asked around. I, I, I don't I, – I just think it's a couple of high-profile cases. But I do think there's more people leaving Apple for Tesla than leaving Tesla for Apple.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's <laughs> – It's hard to say. I mean, in some respects, I mean, what what Latner has accomplished is incredible. And I I think if you don't really know about, and most Apple customers have no need to know about sort of the developer tool chain, it's, it's hard to appreciate
0: the the contribution this guy has made to Apple. I mean, like, and the talking- stature, the stature that he has in the industry. I mean, it's very hard to say, you know, who else is like Chris Latner? I mean, he's sort of a singular figure in terms of what he's accomplished and what he's done. I mean, you know, oh,
1: absolutely. It, I mean, in the, the entire like LLVM, like uh, architecture, and now like Clang is kind of a, a part of that. Now that that's the front end compiler that, you know, it, it's, it's one, it's, totally taken over the industry (laughs) i mean and uh for one and for two it's a um yeah i mean so for one just the impact broadly it's widely adopted it's used everywhere there's all sorts of custom tool chains that are built on top of it it supports all sorts of things and then uh lvm is sort of a broader architecture clang is for c type languages uh, primarily so it's a narrower sort of thing that sits on top of it but the other thing i mean just from a so from an industry perspective, absolutely spot on. Like, this guy's a giant in the field. <laughs> I mean, like like Richard Stallman like level. Like, Richard Stallman is a GCC or whatever. Like, this and is kind of his, in some respects, his successor in Linus, that sort of thing. Linus vein.
0: Torvalds, uh, you know, there's only a handful of people you can compare to Latner. And for some reason, all the other ones are a bunch of assholes. And Latner <laughs> is a really nice guy. <laughs> right.
1: So, so, yeah, he's an yeah, absolute giant. And then for Apple, I mean... It, it, the the way i mean apple talks about wanting to own their primary technologies yep. right Yeah. like what latner did was made it possible for apple to not only own its developer tool stack in a way they didn't before and they were at the mercy of third parties like you know the whole metro works and code warrior and all, like all that sort of like stuff and and they they end up owning the entire stack and he did it in a way that is like the best of Apple's strategy. I talk about the commoditizing the compliments part, right? What Apple – like people talk about Apple being this integ- being integrated, right, because they do the OS and the hardware. If you think about the hardware, Apple is very modular, right? Apple is like 600 suppliers or something like that all over the world building all these pieces, competing against each other to get the lowest possible price. Apple can dual-source suppliers, et cetera, et cetera. And – and so Apple reaps all the benefits of having this massive ecosystem making their products better on an individual component basis. And then Apple fuses it all together into one thing and ties it to the software and says, Oh, look, we're integrated. And they are. It just everyone's integrated at different parts of the stack. Like that's what Latiners work what Apple do on the developer side. Yeah. Like there is a massive community that is working on LVM, that's working on Quang, that now is working on Swift. This is a part of it being open source. And you have they're working their making it better they're contributing patches they're building up new languages new use cases making it a more attractive language for students to learn so that new students come along who already know Swift and can code on Apple's platforms like there's all these benefits that accrue to all this stuff being open source and being the standard for all kinds of things that it all accrues to Apple's benefit because it's going into their core technology and then Apple owns the top and the bottom parts of it right they they own how it ties into to their platforms they own the IDE that you have to use Xcode to to at you know, at some step to compile you know, you know iOS apps or whatnot, and and so from a strategic and business perspective, his contribution is massive. It's absolutely massive, and it's it's equal to someone like the more famous folks you see, like Ivan uh, Ivan Industrial Design, or the people in the software stack or in the hardware, the the, the chip stack, like building a custom thing for Apple. It, it it it's difficult to overstate the contribution he's made both to the industry and to Apple. And their sort of strategic position going forward.
0: Yeah, I'll probably uh, miss this because I wasn't directly involved. But Apple's developer tools are incredibly important to a platform. It's hard to overstate that. And it's one of those things that Microsoft has aced. I I think from the very earliest days through to the current day like say what you want about using their platform as a user I I still I find Windows 10 to be as unpalatable as ever but their developer tool story has always been top notch in, in from everything from the compiler to debugger to uh you know the the languages um and Apple really missed out on that uh, back in the early days, you know, there was, uh, the, the Macintosh developer tools was, it was called M- MPW, Macintosh programmers workshop. Um, uh, and it was this sort of weird for the Mac perspective hybrid. It was sort of like a, a command line shell that, uh, on a system that didn't have a terminal or didn't have a command line, when you ran MPW, there was a shell and it had its own shell scripting language. Um, And I remember I used to have a a version of Perl that you could run in MPW. It was, you know, like people would say like, oh, you can't run Perl on a Mac. Well, you could if you had MPW. And there was also a thing called Mac Perl, which was a standalone application and the way you would run scripts in MP I mean, this is really way out in the weeds, but you could send it like an Apple event. (laughs) You'd send like an Apple script command to Mac Perl with the the Perl script file you wanted to run in, and then it would send you the results. So you could run Perl on a classic Mac, even though it didn't have anything resembling a traditional Unix command line. Um but eventually this became outdated. And by the mid mid nineties, just about every serious Mac developer I knew was using Code Warrior, which was a third party um uh IDE, ID, IDE, yep. right, integrated, integrated development environment, right. So instead of just putting scripts together to compile your app, you'd have an actual visual thing. And there was, you know, the predecessors to to that were from a company called Think. There was Think C and Think Pascal, which were very well regarded. I, I I know people to this day who would who would argue that Think Pascal's debugger was the best debugger they've ever used. Um, great products, and you know. and and in a Mac style where you had these projects that were in a window and it was click and drag to organize the project. Um, With Mac OS 10, what they inherited from next was the GCC toolkit, which again, I I mean, we could go on for an hour about this and it's over, you know, it's really outside my expertise, but you know, GCC, the best thing you could say about it was that it worked. (laughs)
1: It was flexible, and it worked, and it had all the trade-offs that came with working on everything and for everything.
0: Right, that you had this C C, and C++ compiler that Next had jerry-rigged over the years to also compile Objective-C. Uh, wasn't, nobody was happy about it and i was at i mean like during this transition period like this was it was a good time to work at a company like barebones like in 2000 to 2002 to like talk to people you know like engine you know back engineers who were like <laughs> switching from code warrior to, to to the gcc what was the xcode called before it was xcode i forget what it what was it uh project I don't builder, right oh yeah that's right project yeah. builder and interface builder um you know, and uh, the the bare bones engineers were great. I mean, they were very, you know, they're they're pragmatic as engineers should be. Where they had BBEdit compiling under GCC long before they had to, just to make sure that you know the source code was going to pass through a different C compiler. Um You know, but <laughs> it was it was very crude and rudimentary. Whereas yep. the whole LLVM C lang. Uh, Clang stack is very much what Apple would have if they could just snap their fingers and say, "We wish we had a toolkit that worked like this." That's pretty much what LLVM is. I th- I think it's fair to say.
1: Yeah, and LLVM is just, is really amazing. It's basically like it it makes the entire bottom part of the compiler like totally modular where you compile into this intermediary language and then it can recompile for particular processors or GPUs or whatever it might be. But it made it totally modular. Instead of like, basically GCC was like this spaghetti soup of stuff where to add on support for anything, you would kind of, just add to the spaghetti like but a new kind of spaghetti and it was totally impenetrable and llvm made this very neat sort of modular approach and uh, latner developed llvm to sit underneath gcc so basically gcu just would just compile to the intermediate language but eventually yeah he built all the way up to the top of the stack to to do the entire compiler itself which then let xcode do way more interesting things because apple now controlled the entire thing from from top to bottom um yeah that, we, we, if we didn't bore people with the sports, we just bored them with talking about <laughs> compilers. but the the net of it is is that not only is he super early guard in the industry, but he is important to Apple like strategically. Like what he has done for apple is is
0: very few company, very few people in the company can really can really match that. yeah. and it one of the practical effects of of his work that really has an effect on apple is it made it uh, much easier for apple i mean i think they could have done it anyway even if they were stuck on the gcc tool chain they could have but i think it was i i don't think anybody would argue with the fact that it's easier for apple to, to have you know things that run on arm things that run on intel have new you know switch to new new arm 64 and stuff like that uh it 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 makes them less dependent on on uh, the the specific hardware that they're targeting. They can yeah, much- I mean,
1: when the Apple, yeah when that yeah when that came out it was still GCC but yeah but but I think the 64 bit transition is is a perfect example of where it just got way easier for them um, and it all, in all future changes will be much easier.
0: Yeah, like they can go to something in the future that's not there yet and they don't it'll be easier. They can you know anyway. Uh, is it a problem? Is it a bad sign that Latner has left for? Uh, I mean,
1: Latner himself. I mean, himself it, it's it's really hard to take too much out of it. I mean, the guy uh, he was on the ATP podcast, uh, which was Accidental tech podcast, which was great, um,
0: absolutely and terrific. I I I've linked to it, and I'll just say, I mean, if you haven't listened to it, uh, it was terrific, and for a show where they almost never have guests uh the, the Yeah he's really the idealized atp guest yeah the three of them did a great job uh at, at, as hosts of of a outside guest. good questions kept the conversation going covered just about everything i hope that they would cover it was really really a terrific show
1: yeah and, and what you really get from him and if you look at his career you can see this i mean the guy's Developed LV, LVM as a graduate student, and then Apple gave him the the opportunity to carry it to completion. He did Clang or clang. he's a like, Clang or Clang.
0: Uh I, I-
1: Clang. Oh, yeah, I say Clang. uh he, I mean he initiated that and in carried to completion. He initiated Swift basically on 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 his own. Like this is a guy that likes to take on hard and difficult problems from first principles yeah. and figure them out. And you know, right now the core like Apple's sort of development stack is set for the next 20 years, basically. I mean, there's lots of work to do on Swift. It's not finished, but like the conceptual portion of Swift is finished, right? Now it's like problem solving and implementation right. by and large. And I can totally see for a guy like this, like what what's left, right? He he's built out the Apple's entire developer stack from literally from top to bottom. And what's left for him? You know, and you have this opportunity with, with Tesla. I mean, I, it's, it's you know, this, who knows what he's going to do. I mean, Tesla is, Tesla is built currently on an NVIDIA stack where NVIDIA has this has this setup where you can basically use their GPUs for general processing. Um, and they have it, it's built on LLVM. A, A, NVIDIA has their own implementation of it. It's called NMVM or something like that. And But, I mean, and Tesla also hired one of Apple's original A-chip designers uh, last year. And I, you got to imagine they might be coming with something totally custom and integrated on both sides. I don't know. It's fun to speculate, but I can totally see why someone like Latner, who has a remarkable history of solving really hard problems from first principles, just wouldn't have anything left for him at Apple. Right. And 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 there is something at Tesla. And he's the guy. I mean, the guy's not voted by, by by money. I'm sure Apple's made him rich beyond his wildest dreams without question you know there's it's something deeper than that
0: yeah and at a certain level if he's just looking after his career in terms of if he's at apple and he's in software just in general let alone the toolkit or whatever uh i mean there's already craig federighi at the svp spot you know i mean there's nowhere up for him to go at apple Whereas effectively, I think he's now the Craig Federighi at Tesla. He is the head of software at Tesla. So there's a company where there's an opening for a, you know, reports directly to the CEO head of software. Whereas at Apple, that position is not open and probably is not going to be open anytime soon.
1: One thing that is interesting is speaking of reporting to the CEO is – at least a few of the guys that have left the high profile ones were ones who did work with Steve Jobs. Hmm. And it's almost like they're <laughs> they you can get the sense that they kind of miss the this the fire for lack of a better word. You know, like it was brutal, but it was brutal in a like in a very energizing sort of way. Um, which you're certainly going to get, I think, with with Elon Musk. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty, I mean, there, there's a reason they compare they compare people compare the two.
0: Yeah, uh, like one of the uh, this isn't a new uh, uh, poaching, but uh, boss ording. I don't. I hope I'm pronouncing his first name right. But uh, he left Apple in uh, 2014 and as of march 2015 he was designing user interfaces at tesla and uh i linked to this the other day but he um well, he didn't it was before he went to tesla but after he left apple and uh he said uh why he left was one because he was spending a lot of time in court uh defending patents because his name was listed on these patents and they're suing HTC and Samsung, et cetera. Uh, And, you know, it's, it's not complicated. I mean, he wanted to be designing user interfaces. He did not want to be putting on a suit and tie and showing up in court and answering lawyers, stupid questions about interfaces. Uh, And then the other thing he said was I spent more time in court than designing. Aside from that, I missed the interaction with Steve jobs. We discussed matters every 14 days.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I mean, you know, I the the reality is, and you know, I I for all the great things that Apple has accomplished, you know, I I tend to be a bit of a fatalist about things. I mean, companies like people, you know, have life cycles. I mean, they Apple came roaring back from the dead. They they did the iPod, which really just the company that led directly to the iPhone. The iPhone ro- ro- led directly to the iPad, and and the Mac came along for the ride, but I mean it it's a there was a very natural progression for Apple to reach the heights it made now. I mean to be clear what's happened is extraordinary and Apple deserves all the praise and all the credit for what they've done. But you know if you look back at the broad history of business in all sectors or whatever to you know the reality is to presume that Apple is going to make the next world-changing product is is for all the great products they made, and I'm not denying that at all, that really is to challenge, like, all of history. And it's right. not an issue of, you know, you, you don't make products because you really want to make products. Like, Apple's not, you know, apple Apple's filled with humans just like every other company. And what goes into making great products is, is great people, it is great culture, but it's also – you have there's a there's a hunger there's a need there's a market opportunity and you're forming your company around that opportunity. I mean, th- th- as the fact of the matter is that Apple has a product that makes up seventy to eighty percent of its products' it's, profits. It's the most profitable product in the history of ever, and you it's just impossible to form the company wide incentives that are necessary to drive. A startup, or to drive a Tesla, to drive any number of these other companies, and that's not a function of Apple being a bad company, or the executives being bad executives, or people being bad people. It's a, it's just, it's a, like a, it's like a fact of life. It's like a, a law. I mean, you cannot have the incentive structure of a startup when you're a 750 billion dollar company. You just can't. Right. And, and there's people that want
0: that, that thrive on that, and it's natural that they pursue that. I still think that in hindsight, even in four, nobody really foresaw that the iPhone was the culmination of personal computing. Uh, but in hindsight, it's obvious that it was, that this is where everything right. was. Right. Apple's going been making all. the same thing
1: all along, right? From right. day one, Apple's been making the personal computer from day one. Right. And, and the iPhone fits perfectly in the evolution of
0: Apple as a whole. Right. And the one thing that Apple missed, Steve Jobs missed, everybody, I think, missed up until... And and I, I'm not a huge Netscape fan. I'm not a huge Mark Anderson fan. Andresen, how do you say his name? I don't know. And- Andresen, I think. But I do think that he and Netscape saw something that was missed in the entire PC. And I think Bill Gates missed. Everybody missed. Um, was that ultimately personal computing was destined to fundamentally be a communicate, a personal communication tech technology, that it's about yep. people communicating with each other and where, where Apple really missed out up until the, the last decade, the, you know, a decade ago, you know, when the, the comeback in the two thousands with, you know, post post iPod. And when, when the Mac finally started like picking up share and then ultimately with the iPhone, was was that most people have no need or care for a personal computing device forget the word pc whether you mean like windows or mac or you know the iphone or whatever just a personal computing device in plain language until they until the internet and the only reason they wanted the internet was to communicate with other people and read and write and so everything pre-internet that apple did was falling on deaf ears i mean it's a, it's fundamentally why the you know in my opinion is fundamentally why the 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 Newton failed because the form factor was entirely about being more personal than a Mac, that it was smaller. Uh, it wasn't pocket size, but they could have made one pocket size if it had taken off. Surely if it had, you know, if it had gotten any kind of traction in the market, surely they would have made a Palm pilot size one. Um, uh, but it was pre-internet and it didn't have, you know, there wasn't a, therefore wasn't a communication device and therefore it gained no traction. Um, and that's what the iPhone fundamentally is. I mean, for you know, other than games, if you took away all the apps that p- people use to communicate with each other, they wouldn't use their phones at all.
1: Yep, this is exact. This is exactly right. I wrote this piece last spring uh, called "Everything as a Service." That basically the point of it is that the iPhone was the ultimate, the culmination, the best ever, sort of manufactured device broadly and PC specifically. And the reason is because it was empowered by the future, right? Right. What makes the iPhone, like the the, we talk about mobile and, you know, people would make fun of Sasha Nadella saying Microsoft's going to be cloud first, mobile first. But the reality is those are the same thing. Right, yeah. the 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 phone is nothing without the cloud. It's no, like Facebook is nothing without the the servers in the cloud. Right. Google is nothing on the servers in the cloud. Snapchat, Twitter, whatever you want to be, it all depends on their. It's 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 a yin and yang sort of thing, and and the iPhone was better than any other PC that came before it, any other device that came before it, because it was lit up it was enabled by the future but the future means that the iphone is the end right it's the end of
0: the line in some respects because I, the future I, will be fully in the future yeah i totally i i i think that's true right like the watch is not the new phone i think the watch is undersold as a success i think apple is you know i i i wouldn't be surprised if if 2017 they become the number 1 By revenue watch company in the world. I mean, I think they were, what, number two last year to Rolex? I mean, they're certainly in the top five. Um, That's nothing to sneeze at. It's a fine business, but it's not the new iPhone, right? right? It is clearly something different. And as the watch has evolved, it's become less like the iPhone right? Like the 1.0 watch was more like an iPhone where they were talking about this grid of apps that you would launch and the watch OS three, you know, second generation hardware, third generation OS is a lot more like, Hey, it's a fitness tracker and notification display. Yep. It's an accessory, which is better because it's more clearly what is, what, what the wrist is good for, but it's not the, it's not a replacement for the phone. Yep.
1: Um, yeah, no, I, I no, I I agree. I mean, I think the the future, when and if we get there, is probably some sort of thing where, you know, in the very long run, where we're carrying some sort, maybe it's the watch, but some sort of identification device, where basically any screen around us can become our personal computer. And you know we don't, but I mean the reality is the phone is is clearly a sort of endpoint, I think and and that's fine, that's good for Apple because Apple sells the most profitable phone by far and they will make a lot of money off it for a very long time and as a company as an ongoing enterprise that that's great. but I, I do think it really raises really really fundamental questions about you know, if you want to look at 20 30 years out what what is apple's future because going all the way back to 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 the late 70s i mean apple's been a personal computer company and and the iphone in like it was it was the future it was the internet broadly that let the mac sort of come back and be a viable platform for you know, everyone, ex- pe- beyond the diehards like you, to for like everyone else, but it was the cloud generally and what that enabled that made the iPhone the juggernaut that it is. But that that's also the future that's going to eventually obsolete obsolete the PC, and and that's okay. Like again, that's that's the way things go, and you know, better to have you know better to have shown brightly than to have not shown at all, as it were, and nothing's shown brighter than the iPhone.
0: I, I'm not counting them out, but I don't, you know, I don't know that it's any more likely than not that the next big thing would come from Apple. I don't know, you know, but. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, I'm not counting that all either, but I can, but I can understand why I I can understand why some of these really, you know, noteworthy employees who've been with Apple for a long time, why they suddenly want to go somewhere else. Like, you know, for one, maybe they just want to change, but for two, I mean, if you think about the future, I mean, not only are we moving out of Apple's sweet spot, which is personal computing? Uh, not only, it, but, but also the, you know, just the company, it's so consumed by the iPhone, appropriately so. That's like Apple's in
0: execution mode. It's not an innovation mode right. and that's the mode it should be in. Right. It's, you know, they're the at the point where they're going from a 99% good product to a 99.9% good product to a 99.99% good product to keep adding nines as the product keeps getting better. And, you know, I I would argue that in some ways the Mac is, you know, that's one of the reasons Mac hardware has slowed to such a degree where there might be future directions for desktop computing that are big new areas or, you know, big new ideas or whatever. But the basic idea of, you've got these windows you drag around on a screen and menus and apps that run and a mouse pointer that you either use a mouse or a trackpad and a keyboard and and you sit there and do it it's it's at a you know it's an it old is what it is it's, it's an old paradigm and it's is what it is and it's really getting polished out to you know a very large 99 point it's not a new thing
1: yeah, Whereas, like, like we said, we would rather Apple slow down on the OS ten updates, right. right? It's it's fine. Just let let it be.
0: Right. Whereas a lot of the most talented people at Apple from the last ten years are the people who stood up the iPhone from the world where a quote unquote smartphone was a ridiculous, you know, BlackBerry or uh uh Symbian thing from Nokia running like not really a real OS, but like some kind of embedded OS and and as like an up down left-right metaphor that they stood up this entire Paradigm of touch-based computing in a rich, you know, GUI environment with you know, no perceptible latency when you scroll, and you know all of these things that we just take for granted as as the oxygen of the device you know in our pocket. Uh, they stood it up from nothing to a thing, uh, and that's what they're good at is is you know going. F- taking an idea that doesn't even exist and getting it to the 98%, you know, 98% good. Um, that's what they live for. And,
1: and, the, and the other thing too is like, that's their that's always been their business model. Like their business model has been to deliver the best possible experience and charge a premium for it, right? Yeah. And and that's the other thing. You get to these other categories. Like services is not about charging a premium for a differentiated product, right? Uh, car is right today it is but you know that's our that's our Mercedes or BMW makes money but in the future if you get to a transportation as a service like these sort of Uber style networks or car sharing or whatever it might be like the business it's not clear that they have a business model going forward and licensing or building like fleets or whatever. That's not an Apple business model. Right. And again, it doesn't mean the company's not going to be a viable concern going forward. It's just that everything, like everything about the iPhone, if you back up far enough, it was no different than everything about the original Mac. Like the, the business model was the same. The approach was the same. The needs it was seeking to serve was the same. And that's because the personal computer is, is, you know, Steve Jobs from day Steve Jobs saw this for anyone talking about the power of the personal computer and how it will transform people and I've said before like my all-time one of my all-time favorite Steve Jobs moments was his second to last keynote the iPad 2 introduction and it was right after they demoed iMovie and they had demoed GarageBand it was after the GarageBand demo and Steve Jobs always a lover of music and stuff and he came out in this look of like contentment on his face and he's like now anyone can make music and you like you could see it like i actually typed on twitter at the time like i think this might be his last keynote because like it was like it, it was like his salutation like my wife's work is completed here and and that's an amazing thing and and the and, and that's fantastic but like the world <laughs> it, the world goes on
0: it, right. it does did you watch uh uh I don't think Dow Rumpel and I talked about it on my last show but uh the 10 year anniversary of the original iPhone introduction was uh a couple weeks ago did you I rewatch did you rewatch the the I I looked at parts of it um I mean, it, yeah
1: it's it's a world it, it's a world changing event. It really it, is. I mean, I
0: remember I was there. It was early, it, and I'm so glad that I was. But it was early in the era when I was regularly attending Apple keynotes. Like even just a year or two before, it was sort of. A, I think I'd been to like a WWDC note or two before that, but like MacWorld keynotes, I wasn't going to because I just you know, it, it, I was just a guy who never left his house. <laughs> uh but i was at the soft until 11 in the morning the macworld 2007 keynote i had a press pass for it was one of the first i got a press pass for so i had a good seat close to the front and i just remember thinking at the time uh that this is this is it this is the keynote that we've every single other keynote has ever has been uh you know because we wanted this one this is the one, and it's somehow, it, it, you know, illogically, it's the one that that we collectively want Apple to give every single time. Right. We've changed the world again, you know, but that they literally did. But the thing that struck me was when I was looking for, like, YouTube clips of it uh, is that a whole bunch of them cut out, like, the first five or six minutes of the keynote and just start with when he starts talking about the iPhone. And to me, they're missing what was so amazing about that keynote which was that the first five or six minutes were about like the Mac and something else. No, uh, it's was more than that. I wrote about this. The first 30 minutes were about the Apple TV. Was that, did he do it? No, that was, I thought that came at the end after
1: the n- iPhone. No, they opened with the, with the Apple TV. And like, and that's, it's kind yeah. of remarkable when you think about it, right? I mean, right. clearly the jobs knew they had something, right? I mean, you don't right. build up like we, like we did the, the, the Mac and then the iPod. And now we're doing a new thing and da, 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 da. But at the same time, like you don't put in 20 to 30 minutes about the Apple TV. If you're introducing one of the most, if you're making one of the biggest and most meaningful product announcements of all time and again like it's not just the iphone it's like the entire world today and the upheaval that's in it is all tied back to that product and the the what it did in i mean it's it's remarkable in retrospect
0: well the the line that i remember was when he he gave like a brief update about the mac at the very beginning but then he said but we're not here to talk about the mac today and it was like the like the oxygen just came out of the crowd because it was the 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 context to remember is that leading up to that keynote, it was widely rumored that Apple was going to introduce a phone, and uh, you know somehow right. the just the simple fact that Apple was going to introduce an iPhone, something called an iPhone was leaked. And, you know, I don't know if that came just because of their negotiations with Singular. I don't know, you know, but somehow just that pure information leaked. But what it was going to be like didn't leak at all. There was absolutely no word, no rumors, no guesses. Nobody knew whether it was going to be an iPod that could make phone calls or something else. Uh, and I remember that it Somebody reported it like on Saturday, like, I don't know, like the journal or the New York times, just that it's widely rumored that they're going to introduce a phone. And I remember I got to San Francisco on Sunday, uh, you know, on an early flight. And it was like the afternoon and I was walking down market street in San Francisco. And I ran into James Duncan Davidson and uh, Daniel Steinberg, who's like a, a tech tech book author. They were having coffee somewhere and they knew me and I came over and joined them. And, and they were like, "What do you think? What do you think's going on tomorrow?" And I was like, "You know what? The weird part is, is like, usually if something like this is widely rumored and it's not true, Apple somehow gets word out to to sort of set expectations accordingly. Like, if if ever you know if somebody reports that Apple is going to uh an, announce cold fusion on Monday and it's not true, they don't they haven't invented cold fusion. They'll somebody else will come out with it." you know, somebody else will get the story that no, they're not going to have cold fusion and it may not get everybody to calm down, but it'll calm things down. But like Saturday, somebody said they're going to have, they're going to introduce a phone. And Sunday it was just pure silence. And I was like, I, th- I really think they're going to do it. And so, and, and I think everybody else is sort of thinking the same thing. So everybody kind of went in to the keynote, like with their breath held and like two minutes in Steve jobs says, we're not going to talk about the Mac today. And it was like, Whoa. I, I, I the excitement in that room was so palpable. It's it's just impossible to to. Describe. Oh, it
1: would have been amazing to be there. I mean that yeah, and and I mean that it's the greatest keynote ever. I mean, there's <laughs> at least in the tech industry, it's it's remarkable. And and you know the in the whole thing like it's it's a widescreen iPod. It's a it's a phone. It's an internet communicator. And everyone cheers loudly on the first two, and right. you know, kind of mumbles on the third and again I mean like because th- this is the flip side right I write a lot of major theme on trajectory is beyond the business model stuff but it's about like the internet and its impact on not just business but society generally right but but again it's it's yin and yang like the internet it's the internet plus mobile it's those two things go together because it's not just sitting down at your desk and having access to the internet it's it you having full access to everything anywhere all the time in at every place in every location, yeah, right. and and, and the, these these two things are hand in hand. You can't divorce their impact from the other. And the the iPhone changed the world. It right. like Steve Jobs did more than put a dent in the world. He fundamentally changed the the course of like it changed the course of of history. It really did. I, I can I, I it, not to be hyperbolic, but I believe you can trace what's happening these few years and the upheaval in society to that keynote. I mean, it,
0: it, it, it's remarkable. <laughs> I, if it wasn't, I mean, you know, uh, let's, let's, you know, let's delve into it a little bit, but if it wasn't for the iPhone, there wouldn't be Android as we know it. Android might've still existed. It was a, an existing project before the iPhone was introduced, but it was like a BlackBerry clone type thing. Yep. And if that's what Android had been, I don't think Donald Trump would have used it. And I don't think Donald Trump would be a presence on Twitter. And if Donald Trump wasn't a presence on Twitter and ever present presence on Twitter, I don't think he would have become president.
1: No, it, it's not just that, though. It's, it's the, the polarization and the, draw, the, the I, tribalism.
0: I, well, I completely agree. I, like, completely I don't agree. think it's like a trick pull shot. I don't think it's like you know the cue ball hits the nine, and the nine hits the sidebar, and then it hits the seven, and the seven hits the two, and the two goes in the corner pocket. I think it's a straight shot between the iPhone and Trump as president.
1: It, it, it is. And, and I mean, it was the iPhone and the internet combined that really – broke down the hold that the the mainstream media had on information dispersal. And that broke down the limits of geography when people came to kind of banding together, right? Now you could, on Facebook... Find all kinds of people that agreed with you that weren't necessarily next to you in your hometown and you could build basically it removed geography as a limitation on all sorts of things and it made media less powerful and you could get your news from anywhere you could go around and do whatever you wanted and it broke down all these things that held society together as it was and no I 100% without question agree that you can draw a straight line from the iPhone introduction to yeah Donald Trump being president
0: (laughs) So so clearly what we need to do is invent a time machine to go back in time and, pre- and prevent the iPhone. Stop the iPhone. Stop the iPhone. <laughs> the iPhone is the new Hitler. <laughs> well, there's a title for your podcast. Uh, what else do we have to talk about this week? Uh, oh, you want to talk about uh, PaceBot.
1: Oh yeah, because it's a tradition. So we, we always talk about our drinks. Um, I'm I'm having a couple beers tonight. Uh, <laughs> I still do have a sparkling water as well. Um, oh, you mentioned that the sparkling waters explode, right? So yes. I realize I do have one of the original. It's the original SodaStream, which I have, and there's no pressure release. You have to manually pressure release it, like when you pump it and you kind of pull the bottle out and release the mm. pressure. Well, I, whereas I got a new one. So I have one for my office and one for my one from my house. I got a new one for the house, and that one releases pressure automatically. So I'm pretty sure that the ones that exploded were using the original one and didn't know you had to release pressure every single time. Anyhow, that's my SodaStream update. <laughs> For those who don't follow, but- <laughs> this is
0: my philosophy. My philosophy on, on being a successful uh, internet internet writer is uh, you need a fussy way to make coffee. You need an uh, endless supply of fizzy water, and you need a clicky keyboard. Um, and so and I, for years, I disagree on the clicky keyboard. Well, you can disagree. I would, I would, I, I would list the, I, I would actually put the fizzy water first, and the fussy way to make coffee second, and the clicky keyboard third, because, I, I would rather, I'd probably rather have, shittier coffee, but still have fizzy water, than to have, great coffee and have to drink flat water. Flat water, I every time I take a sip of flat water, I feel like I'm sick, like I'm getting a cold. <laughs>
1: And you're going to get more Twitter responses because we get it every time you complain about fizzy water. Well, the funny part, too. Well,
0: one of the funny parts about that is my wife hates fizzy water. Absolutely hates. Uh, So, like, when we go out to dinner, if we get water, a lot of times we'll get two bottles of water and one flat, one still. Uh, And sometimes, like, if she accidentally, like, Takes the wrong glass or something like that. She'll like it, you know. I as bad as it is if you're expecting fizzy water and you take a sip of still. It's even it's it's like dangerous if, if you think you're going to take a big gulp of of still water and you get a highly carbonated. Glass.
1: Right, because you have the natural tendency to spit it out. Plus, it's like moving around in your mouth, right. so it kind of accentuates it.
0: Right. And so for those who are not longtime listeners, I, I years ago found out about a company called SodaStream that lets you make your own fizzy water at home, which is a true game changer so that you're not buying you know, bottles of Pellegrino or uh, whatever. Perrier. Yeah, which is expensive, and it's a pain in the ass, and you end up with all these glass bottles. Pl- I could just make endless supplies of my own fizzy water. But I have the model that they – I don't know if that's what they call it, the penguin, but it looks like a penguin. Uh, and I, I think I can't get my bottle out without doing a pressure release.
1: But yeah, anyway, you know, the originals, the originals, the Genesis is is different. So, yeah. but yeah, but every time I'm on your podcast, we talk about uh, blogger drinks. Uh, you can, you know, I, my favorite saying is, I think from you and Merlin, you can tell what you tell what time of day it is by what you're drinking. Yes. Um, <laughs> So usually I'm on whiskey now, but I'm, I was trying to take it – I feel like I got a little tipsy last time I was on the podcast with you, so I'm trying to take it easy. It was a holiday party. <laughs> but the other thing is I feel like I've talked about uh, utilities on the Mac, which is one of the things that make but before we move great. on to
0: that, I do have to say that the other thing is that uh, like right before Christmas, I did send you a link. I don't know if I can find it, but I sent you a link <laughs> – to somebody who is also a writer, whose whose Soda Stream blew up in his face. I mean, I don't mean to, it, right. I, no, that's, that's I, a popular right. yeah. so. but literally, it broke the glass. He had like shards of glass. I mean, his it was all right. Didn't go in his eye, but it, his, 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 I mean, he really looked like he he had been like in a terrible car accident or something. Like his face was <laughs> <laughs> all messed up, and it scared the shit out of you. <laughs> It did,
1: it did, yeah, it because it, it, it turned out it is this specific model. They don't sell it anymore, right? Um, but I'm still I'm still powering through because I think I know how to release pressure, so I think it's okay. Um, <laughs> and then the other thing you like to talk about are clipboard is, utilities. Yeah, so I've talked about it almost every time, and I have a new update. I, I think I use something called copy and paste, which actually did have search. I said it didn't last time, right. but I have switched to pastebot. Uh, by by uh, Paul and the, the, the yeah the t- Tapbots guys make Tweetbot and it's it's fantastic uh, and I felt bad because he released it I think at 20 bucks and then quickly lowered the price I think people thought it was too high or whatever I paid 20 bucks I didn't ask for a refund because it's it's fantastic work and it's 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 I mean you can not only do you have the the pace generally clipboard history but it has the, it's conversion functions where you can yeah. convert from like uh, HTML to plain text or to markdown or whatever it might be like okay. it, totally built in is amazing you can search just by typing you don't have to click a search field which I had to in my old one to find an old clip you can store clips so I use it for support customer support for Shrekery where I, I just store like emails that I send regularly I just use that instead of I was using text expander um, but I don't really use text expander I was only using it for text support basically anyway and this is much better and nicer uh anyhow, I just want to say I have switched to Pastebot. It's fantastic and uh and since I talk about it every time, I felt I felt the need to to I, update.
0: I have it installed. I like it. It is my new I I was previously using Launchbar's built-in clipboard manager and I still use Launchbar. Um uh, but I've switched to uh Pastebot and I I like it better. I I still think Launchbars is my second favorite, but I like it. One of the little things they do that's nice is you bring it up with a little keyboard shortcut, uh, and then like to start searching to not get like one of your like, you can just use the up and down arrows to get like you know whichever one you want, and then you hit enter and it just pastes whichever one you want. But if you have one like you said that's older. I love the way that to search, you just start typing to search. Right. There's no extra click or anything. You don't have, to, no click click you don't have to click yep. in the field. You don't have to hit tab to switch. You just start typing, and it's, it, it, it just switches to search. And I find that to be incredibly useful.
1: Right, because I by far the biggest thing in my list is is URLs. I just have tons and tons and tons of them. And generally speaking, if a site has relatively sane URLs, you can just start typing the general word and it it finds it every time. It's it's fantastic.
0: Right, or you know, like it'll it'll match like a substring of it. Like uh, you you can type uh, wiki and it'll just show filter it down to the ones with Wikipedia links or something like that. Right. Exactly uh, or verge or whatever. And it'll just filter down to that. And you don't have to match from like the beginning of the string or something like that
1: when you, yeah, when, yeah you, cause it'll do anywhere in the URL. So, so if the URL has the name of the article in, in the URL, like most sites do, like I'm looking at one here, like the ringer.com slash wizards dash auto dash Porter. Like I can remember I ran an article auto Porter. I start typing auto Porter and it, it pops up right away because it's, it's, it, Finds it in the middle of the string.
0: I feel like I haven't entirely internalized what what pastebot can do. Like I understand it, but I haven't like automated it. Like because there's another feature it has. I forget what they call it, but you can like copy three things and and put it in. There's like you, you can use a keyboard shortcut to put it into a certain mode where yep, I use. I, I've just started using that because yeah, it's a new thing. You have to teach yourself how to use it, right?
1: But yeah, you enter a certain mode and you copy like 15 things in a row and then you. You can paste them back in order. Right. So I actually do use that because I have like corporate accounts, and I'll get like twenty names in a spreadsheet. Right. And I want you to put them into my in my in my, my software to, to to track them. So I'll just go through the spreadsheet and do name email address name email address, name, all right. the way down the list, and then I switch to my
0: other software and just like just right. can just put them right in. It's a, it's a great great app, and if you don't have some sort of clipboard manager for your Mac, it's it it really you're missing out. Yeah, why, why are you using a Mac? Right, it's exactly, and it's the exact sort of thing uh, that, again, I'm not, I'm not disputing that there are people who are like, you know, totally power users who just use iPads, you know, exclusively and and have moved away from the Mac, but it's the sort of thing that would keep me from ever uh, being able to do that. Like, I, I, I feel. I always feel slightly crippled on iOS where I'm on an iPhone or iPad that I've only got one. Just the most recent thing I've copied is the only thing I can paste. Yep. Whereas on the no, Mac I, uh, I can paste. I, I, I always feel like I can paste anything that I've done in the last few hours. I can, I can still paste again
1: oh totally and you you, you it filters into your entire workflow everywhere like you just start copying stuff because you know you're going to want it eventually (laughs) that's true i do that yeah you just and you know it's there right it's kind of like your it's like your scratch pad that is just always present yeah i i am i clipboard manager is like by far my number one most essential utility and why i could never not not use a a pc all right let me
0: let me ask you this um I have not used PaySpots ability to store frequently used snippets uh when you do that do you have to switch a mode or can when you search do they do they nope, always search open?
1: yeah so you and you can label them so they have regular things so like if someone like I mentioned the corporate things right so someone inquires about a corporate thing I just type corporate and and it immediately goes to my save snippet that's an entire email that explains like the program that I have and et cetera, et cetera. Uh,
0: I just see that right now I see it I see it with their little, they have like, they come, they ship with one called creative quotes and I started searching for crazy one, crazy. And it just says, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels. So it just shows up. Wow. That is incredible. I'm going to start Have have you used the text conversion too? I don't, I don't, I, I, but I don't know what I would need to use it for.
1: Oh, so I use it a lot. Um, like, uh, uh, so when I do, when I edit the exponent podcasts, uh, I always take the, the do the show notes in the text pane in Logic. This is actually where I end up using the most, um, and just because it's there and I'm already in the in the app. But if you ever paste a link in, it doesn't. It just pastes with style.
0: Yeah, and I want to yeah. paste plain text. Yep.
1: So if you go and paste spot, and there's a little filter thing, and, and you click it, and you can convert to plain text, convert to smart. You can do the yeah. convert to smart uh, uppercase, lowercase, title case. Like it's this super powerful text conversion engine that is super easy to use like my old one had it but you had to click into a specific mode and click a thing whereas this is just it's very straightforward in what to do um yeah. so you can basically do conversion operations on text that's on the clipboard as you're pasting it
0: yeah uh i don't know why i never need that i guess i always i just i, I don't know you just I live tend- in plain text all yeah time. i just live in plain text so it's never a problem for me but i can see why it would be
1: yeah, if you're pasting into plain text editor, it's no problem. It's only if you ever pasting into a right a stylized editor that it comes up. Uh,
0: anything else you want to talk about this week?
1: I feel like that's uh, a good show. Yeah, I think I think it's a pretty solid show. We didn't really talk about the app store, which I it's nah. fine. It's not that big a deal though. I mean, I'm still waiting on trials and trials
0: yeah. and upgrades. Uh, yeah, the app store changes is, we can you know, cover it in like a minute. I mean, more or less they've added, they announced this week with the upcoming or it, now shipping betas, uh, and the upcoming next re- point releases of iOS and macOS, uh, they are adding the ability for developers to respond to reviews in the app store. So in other words, if a user, uh, writes a review that says, uh, I bought this app to do blah blah blah, and when I do it, it crashes, and the developer knows, oh, I know exactly what that bug is. I have a workaround uh, in <laughs> for the last ten years or nine years, the developer has been completely hamstrung because they have no way to respond, no way to contact that user, no way to post a response even though they know exactly what it is that the user is is complaining about. Or maybe the user says, I bought this app because I wanted to do uh, X, Y, and Z, and the app only does X and Y. But it does do X, Y, and Z, but they just don't know how to do Z, and the developer knows exactly how to tell them how to do Z. Now the developer can chime in and and put a response in the App Store. So that's... that's
1: this, 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 this is what happens after nine years of the App Store. <laughs> Innovative features like this.
0: Uh, and then the other change is on iOS in particular, uh, they are adding new APIs, official APIs for developers to prompt the user to leave a review in the app store. And it's got a limit of three. It's only right that we talk about this because this has been sort of a hobby horse of mine for a while. Um, three times per year or per 365 days. So it's not really like calendar based, uh, that's that's the limit of how many times any particular app will be able to prompt you and if you've already left a review within the last 365 days it won't be able to prompt you at all which is super welcome the one app in particular that gets me on a weekly basis is fucking open table cuz i use it because it's uh, i don't i mean i don't want to keep you here we've been on the show for 2 hours but i don't know how the hell open table cornered this market But they've cornered the entire market on making online reservations, and I use it because I hate making phone calls. I don't even like to call a restaurant to make a review, a, 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 a reservation. I just I love using OpenTable, but the goddamn app every fucking week it it asks me to leave a review, and I actually do what I always threaten to do with OpenTable, is I every time they prompt me I go and I go to the app store and I leave a review. And I complain that it's always badgering me for reviews. So here's a review, one star. And I give it one star.
1: Arrogation theory, John. Arrogation theory. That's how OpenTable wins. Now the, the I, I, I'm hoping that the ability to respond to reviews comes to podcasts. Because there's mm. this one review there's this one review in the well, you hope for it especially, but there's this one review of exponent that says they talk about topics that are too complex It'd be better if they had a blog and it, 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 it enrages me
0: like <laughs> that's that is amazing. I wish I, well, I wish I could tell you that I wrote that review. <laughs>
1: I, I get I I get more people who email like and they clearly didn't read the blog post. They just responded to the podcast and it's mildly irritating. But that one in the iTunes store is just like it it's been there for like a year and it just drives me up the fucking wall. <laughs> uh
0: I do think it, it it in some sense there's a way that you can complain and say, wow, after nine years they're finally adding these things. But I do think that in some sense it's you know it's only been a year since Schiller took over the App stores and it's they that they've sort of had an official like, hey, the buck stops here, leader. So, you know, yeah, uh, it's, it's it's the second
1: it's the second meaningful change. I mean, because they did the subscription pricing um, yeah. in the summer. So, yeah, I still think. I mean, again, I, I will bang the trials and upgrade up upgrade drum until they come. Um, but you know, I, and you know, I, clearly there's an infrastructure issue here. Um, hopefully this means they're actually making changes uh and those changes would would by definition take time I and mean, building good. software is hard and building software that has to handle the app store is really hard so yeah i mean it's good it's a good signal it's a good signal i think is the biggest positive yes.
0: uh yeah so that they actually are listening and they're doing something that developers have actually asked for for a long time.
1: Yeah, and, and I hope they change the, uh, the resetting ratings thing, because right now, if you're a developer, you're incentivized to not update your app if you have good yes, ratings, Yes. because to update your, your app resets the ratings, and that's the exact wrong incentive Apple should want. They should want developers fixing bugs, updating their apps, and so that's something that I hope they, uh, that they take care of.
0: Yeah, the, the the it's two incentive problems, where one, it's if you already have a version that has a bunch of great reviews and ratings, you're incentivized not to update it, even with a minor bug fix. And second, if you do issue regular minor updates, which in theory is a good thing because you're fixing bugs on a regular basis or making small improvements on a regular basis, you're incentivized to keep asking people for reviews because every time you update one, you have to right, get exactly. new reviews. Yep. So... Yep. I asked them about it i i I spoke to someone at Apple about it, and they you know did not have a, a good answer they did not have an official answer to that, but they completely acknowledged that they are well aware of of the entire you know the fact that it's is not right so I'm optimistic that uh sometime you know maybe like by wwdc maybe they'll have an answer to that you know that some should s- just give,
1: give, give the developer the option ask them if they want to reset the ratings or not that, if, that, they, if, if they invested to do a, a new app, they got a right. new developer, let them reset it. And if they have a great rating, let them keep it.
0: That's pretty that's a pretty good answer. Because then the, what's the worst case scenario there? A, a shitty app that keeps getting bad reviews and the developer keeps resetting it. Well, that's the same situation that they, you know, it's that's no worse than the current situation. Exactly. Right? Yep. Whereas a good developer with a quality app that has quality reviews, uh, yeah, I... I I think you just solved the problem. <laughs> that's actually pretty smart. I wish I had thought of that. Well, that's what happens at 2.30 in the morning. I'm going to steal that and put that on, on Daring Fireball. Go ahead. All, all right. Nice. Ben Thompson, I, I cannot thank you enough for your time. I wish your Packers the best of luck in the upcoming Super Bowl.
1: Ah, uh, that's not funny. <laughs> By the way, the, 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 the website, the blog is Um, for, for those who only listen to podcasts. stratikery. Yeah, So like whatever you want to call it. Just
0: Google Ben Thompson, and exactly yeah. that's
1: that. No, that's exactly what I do, and it, and yeah.
0: uh, it and works. It, it will come up. You've got a terrific newsletter. I look forward to getting every single day, uh, and you're a fine presence on Twitter at at Ben Thompson. That's me. Uh thank you, Ben. Oh, my thanks to our sponsors. I should thank our sponsors. We've got Casper, go buy a mattress. We've got Eero, get yourself uh, a mesh network Wi-Fi thing in your house. And Away, get yourself a new suitcase.